This podcast is also available on Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public and Spotify. Episode 6 of the North East Corner. Episode 6! We're, we're getting quite good at this consistency shenanigans, my friend. We are, we are. We're back again. How's the week been? Been good. Working a lot, as always. Um, and going mad trying to get a list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for for <laughs> for you, yes, for uh, the topic that we are going to cover. Yeah, the week's been pretty brutal for myself as well. Like, uh, uh, we did the two podcasts last yeah. Monday, and then uh, I had three get two actually were in studio. It turned out they were both in Lossy, so that was ideal. They were all meant to be via Zoom, mm. uh, and one via Zoom. So look forward to all that. Uh, I edited them all as well, so it got a bit kind of taxing of a marathon of. Well, technically it's six now in seven days, but it was like five in, that's in a lot. five days. It's yeah. a lot of content so, that's just been busted out, people. So, a lot uh, of content. Yeah, yeah. Hope we, hope we can get some appreciation on that. Without a doubt. We're grinding doubt. out here. Anyway, what <laughs> are we talking about today? Well, this topic we came about as a, a group discussion actually in here in the studio, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, we decided to actually talk about films. Now, this is all our own personal preference. This is none of us looking at who rates what film better this is our own preference so we've decided to each come up with a list of our 10 favorites which we're gonna (laughs) compare debate about probably argue about as well until we have uh, just a finished 10 so there won't be 20 there will only be 10 and we'll see where we're at (laughs) i've just realized as well that uh with the absence of podcast paul we are going to have to make a decision now so this could get very interesting very quickly but yeah let's start it's the top 10 all-time favorite movies like we said from our point of view so it's subjective it's not an official list obviously people can you know comment and stuff like that if they, mm-hmm. if they think we're out of our minds and whatever where we've got stuff placed but let's get to reading the lists do you want to read yours first or shall i um i'll go with my one first okay. so my list is in no particular order i've just written down like i say top 10 favorite films okay um now remember people this has been well, a week, and uh, it took until earlier on today to get it all done. So, first one on my list is Human Traffic, uh, second one, Alita Battle Angel, third one, Bun Raku, fourth one, Tropic Thunder, fifth one, Pulp Fiction, sixth one, iRobot, seventh, Interstellar, eighth, Venom, nine, Fight Club, and tenth, up in smoke, Cheech and Chong. Ooh, we're we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there is, there's some that you've mentioned there that I'm like, damn, why do I not think about that? Anyway, right, I shall read. I've actually got mine in uh, said order. Um, let me just bring my notes up. Uh, John is kindly going to write these down because I've been, you know, done just a little bit and done it on my phone rather than actually write it down myself. So, number ten is Rush Hour. Number nine is Donnie Brasco. Number eight, The Shawshank Redemption. Number seven, Train Spotting. Number six, The Departed. I feel like we're having a game of bingo right now, aren't we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Number five, Forrest Gump. Number four, Saving Private Ryan. There's no vanity behind that. I didn't yeah, just put it in because my name's mentioned in it. Yeah, of course there is. <laughs> Allegedly. Uh, number three, The Dark Knight. Number two, Goodfellas. And number one, American History X. So, we have none the same, but from the two lists that we've just read off there, we actually have quite a lot of similar actors in said films and that. So, at least there is going to be a common theme of we can appreciate the other one's list even though we're going to argue our case for said <laughs> movies <laughs> yeah so uh, we're basically going to have a, a make our case uh, you know talk about the film what it's about and that because obviously there might be some on the other one's list that maybe we haven't watched or what not and then we're going to come uh, not so much a debate but you know one of us is is going to have to convince the other that they should concede this position <laughs> for said film. So let's get right into it. Number 10. You know what my number 10 is? Rush Hour. Yeah. What card are you playing here? To go up against Rush Hour, I'll probably throw in Tropic Thunder. Okay. So I've seen Tropic Thunder, and I really I really do like... <laughs> I, I, like what, that was one of the ones I was like, damn it. Like, so... Tell, tell us a bit about what Tropic Thunder is about. I obviously know, but some people that watch um, this might not know. So, well, Tropic Thunder is obviously about a bunch of actors believing that they're going on a film set when what actually happens is they're actually dropped in the middle of a live, live war conflict, zone. Yeah. Um, or conflict, sorry, yeah. And uh, a lot of strange and funny instances kind of lead from that. Um, Jack Black has one of the starring roles yeah. as a... Bit of a clucker, shall we say? <laughs> I've actually seen an interview with Jack Black, right? That uh, you know that scene in Tropic Thunder when he's on the water buffalo. They're, yeah. they're trying to convince the, um, the the cartel and that that you know he's a he's a prisoner and, and that. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, that water buffalo uh, was actually pregnant at the time, so it kept throwing him off. Oh right, I didn't yeah. Know. So a little, oh, really? little little fun fact, random fact. I thought you were gonna say. Um, <laughs> What's Something more interesting. Well, I thought you were going to say, I can't remember, what's his name now? The guy from um, Night in the Museum. Oh, Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller, yeah. Good old Ben Stiller. I, th I thought you were going to say something. Yeah, he actually killed that panda. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was going to be something a bit brutal like that. I was going to be like, oh my no, God, no, here no, we no. go. <laughs> um, so yeah, so what about, um, obviously for those who, there's got, everyone's seen Rush Hour. Yeah. I'm positive everyone's seen Rush Hour. Before we just talk about Rush Hour, with Tropic Thunder, my favourite scene from that film and probably my favourite character is Tom Cruise's character. And my favourite scene is when he starts playing um, Flowrider and trying to convince Matthew McConaughey to just abandon Ben Stiller by bribing him with a load of money and a G5. And it's, it's the bit where like they kind of... He's, he's done all the dance and that Bill Hader's in the background kind of bopping mm. up and down. And it gets to the bit where he kind of closes in on shot and it's McConaughey, who I think's the man, and uh, Tom Cruise's character. And it's just McConaughey going... A G5 airplane. <laughs> and then it's like... A G5 airplane. And then it's just Tom Cruise's one going, yes, and lots and lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> Play. 
And then he starts playing flow right back <laughs> and all the dancing starts. That's one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen in my life, man. The tropic Thunder, it was. It was just it was a great film. It was out there. Um and I, I would say definitely a very strong contender for this for yes. this round. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm gonna make my case for Rush Hour. And then, and then it we'll sounds defeated already, people. So Rush Hour, which is, you know, I wouldn't say it's a franchise, but there's a there's a trilogy, right? Yeah, but I, I've went for the first one in particular because I think it is the best out of the three. I enjoy all three, but mm-hmm. I think it is the best out of... As I always say, trilogy. original is... Well, original is best. And so basically it's, a, a de- I guess, a detective duo that kind of come by by um, circumstance. So uh, I believe it's a, a, Chin- a Chinese delegate's daughter uh, gets kidnapped by a mob or something in yeah. America and... Uh, Jackie Chan comes over as the top uh, police officer from uh, China, Shanghai, something... Uh, I think it was Shanghai. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Chris Tucker, who's one of my favourite comic actors of all time, <laughs> is um, a Detective Carter. And the, and the the film kind of opens up uh, with Jackie Chan, because Jackie Chan's awesome, doing all uh, stunts and you know all his martial own arts and, and all that. And then it comes to the comedic side. This is why I think it's got a great balance to it, right? Because there is like an action side to it with like Jackie Chan and all the moves, and then just a really hilarious comedy side with Chris Tucker. <laughs> he tries. Like well, <laughs> literally, the whole fil- three films are like of him chasing uh, Jackie Chan's character around Lee, so saying that, going Lee. You yeah. know what I mean? Yo, Lee. Yeah. Uh, so Chris Tucker. Uh, he's at like this kind of uh, bust and uh, it goes sideways and he <laughs> this is one of my favourite scenes from films of all time is when the guy gets away in the car he's got C4 in the trunk and Chris Tucker's like sh- uh, like pursuing and, and shooting the gun at the car and the guy jumps out and then he blows the car up because he hits the petrol tank or something yeah. and he, he, d- he does the, do you remember that dance that he does like he just like says yeah and then he starts doing like the whole kind of bombing him with it <laughs> he, d- he likes to do it when he's uh, directing traffic as well yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah that's in the third one yeah. <laughs> yeah. so yeah I, you know what uh, we went over a brief summary of them and I think in a way, I wouldn't say they're similar films, but they're both uh, they're, they're, they're both, both comedy yeah. orientated, right? Yeah, definitely. And there's um, action involved as well. I mean, in Tropic Thunder, has got I would say Tropic Thunder's got the uh, the more brutal side of comedy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you've got Robbie Robert Downey Day Jr. Jr. Mm-hmm. doing his role. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that that's out there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that is out there. But you know what? <laughs> yeah. He played a good part. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Uh, I I do think Tropic Thunder is a very unique film. Um, and I'm Rush, Rush Hour was it was good. It was I know Rush Hour was good, and it's it, this is irritating. Yeah, I know, <laughs> right? Like, like part two for the, the top twenty of all time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I am going to concede this one to you because I yeah. do I did enjoy Tropic Thunder. So that's that's one that's one nil to to John, which it's not a great start for <laughs> for my side of things, but. Tropic, bring the thunder. <laughs> <laughs> right, so uh, number nine. Um, so you put up Rush Hour. God, I mean, no, wait, wait, number nine. No, for, for number ten you put up Rush yeah, Hour. Yeah, for number ten, but number nine now. Um, so what, we're going to do Donnie Brasco? Mm-hmm. Uh, see, Donnie Brasco is a film I've not, I've not actually watched. It's got... Johnny Depp in it. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know it's got Johnny Depp in it. I, I may have seen it, but I don't think I've enjoyed it enough to retain it. 
I'm still going to make my case for it. Oh, so definitely, could, without a doubt. I can, I can maybe persuade you. So, what? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. It's like a game of Yu-Gi-Oh cards. This, right? <laughs> yeah. Like what you're going to combat it. With. What you got? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll put up. Oh, flame now. See, this is difficult because I don't know who Don. Well, I don't know who Donnie Brasco's about, and I'm looking at the other ones on the list, and I'm like, oh. I'm going to put up Bunraki because I know fine well that you've definitely not seen no, that. No, I've definitely either. not seen so it. This so this is going to be a bit, a bit more in-depth, right? Because the first two we've both seen and we can kind of give our, our thoughts briefly on that. Whereas this, we're actually going to have to explain to the other one what uh, is said about it. So who who wants to go first out of this? Will I? I'll, I'll let you go first on this. Okay, right. so Donnie Brasco uh, is a film starring Johnny Depp and Al Pacino. And it's actually it's based on a true story of a, an FBI agent that went undercover in the mob and I think got the most criminal convictions in history of, uh, you know, investigating the mob. And that was one of the first yeah. undercover operations uh, in US law, I don't want to say law enforcement, but you, you know what I mean, like uh, intelligence services oh, right, in okay. history, right? I believe he was undercover for 10 years. Uh, so I, I actually read the book uh, about this before I actually watched the film. The film's been out for ages. It was like 1997 it came out. But I read the book from uh, James... Uh, is it James Pistone? Or I, I could be saying his name wrong there. Jamie Pistone or something. Uh, which was his real name. Mm. Uh, oh, so Donnie Brasco was his cover. Donnie Brasco was like an alias of his undercover name and, and whatnot. And that's what the, the mob knew him as. Johnny Depp's great in this film. Mm. Every time you hear about Johnny Depp, right... They always go straight to Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, I think he's he's. I he's a say, lot more than just yeah than Jack Sparrow. Yeah, I would say this is probably one of his best performances I've ever seen. I've ever seen him in, and obviously, like you, there's many other things you bring up, like Pirates of the Caribbean, Edward Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but this stands out to me because it's very. Uh, in those other films, uh, there's a he does, it, he does play a strong part. I know what you mean. He is he, he's very he's. He's very dominating when he's on screen. You, you know it's Johnny Depp, mm-hmm. but he plays a character. He does play a character very well. So that's why I'm a bit. I'm getting a bit worried about this already. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried about losing this one maybe because I know Johnny Depp is a good actor. Uh, but with Pirates of the Caribbean, Edward Scissorhands, he's kind of, um, you know, he's playing not an extreme character but an, an eccentric character in both yeah. in both films. Whereas this is is very is very cold and very serious, and there's a lot of strain that you can sense through the film. And the soundtrack actually for it is amazing. Like it sets the tone really well. Uh, so it's all about his uh, like kind of journey of getting into the mob, uh, you know, doing things with him. And he actually starts to become one of them from basically living that life because he's away from his family. He had a wife and kids, or he has a wife and kids. Sorry, um, and you know he's barely at home. He barely makes a home for Christmas and that because he is leading this double life of. You know, if he's not with the the people in the organization, he's having to report to his handlers and yeah. report all the evidence and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and it's, it's probably not as quick as easy as what you'd assume. So yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, I, I believe there were actually, in, in reality, it said at the end of the film, but I actually read it in the book as well, that after uh, the FBI had, you know, prosecuted everyone mm-hmm. and, and so uh, so on, there was a $500,000 bounty on his head. I think it was when the ever the book got released, so probably the nineties or the eighties at some point. It was still active mm-hmm. to that day, because uh, he had convinced them, uh, like 
that much that yeah. when when the FBI had actually pulled him out because they pulled him out because he he wasn't reporting to them in mm. the end because uh, there's a famous scene in the film where they're about to uh, in mob terms whack someone on a boat and then the lights come on and the FBI swarm and arrest them both. Oh, right. It's obviously they kind so of like to a sting do, operation. Yeah, to yeah. kind of do that, they have to arrest uh, so the so. agent because yeah. it obviously keeps the cover alive and that. Um, and then the, the, there's a scene where the FBI go around uh, to the the bar, the local bar that he's met all these people at throughout the film, and show him, them like pictures of him being an FBI agent and who this really is and that, and they don't believe it. Like they yeah. actually can't, like they actually believe that the FBI are pulling their leg to try and. Know, pressure them like yeah, they actually make them flip on yeah them. like they don't uh, I, I don't believe they ever bought it until obviously the prosecutions and he appeared and testified in court and stuff and then you kind of have to believe it at that point well yeah you've got no choice and it's right in front of your face but my favorite scene uh in the entire film is when he comes home for uh a night to i think get, get some sort of money or something that he's hidden up the loft i'm not sure if this happened reality this could just be yeah. a bit of Hollywood but his, his wife catches him and obviously she's not seen him for months on end and she's complaining in that and there's a really tense kind of argument that they have and I think he, he strikes her and it's like a really shocking moment in the film um, and she, she says to him you're becoming one of them mm. and then it's just it's like a very quiet uh, iconic scene where John Depp's kind of staring into the uh, the abyss, and he kind of turns around to his wife, and uh, in the film, and says, "I'm not becoming one of them." Uh, I can't remember the the character's name, but mm. he says his, his wife's name. I'm not becoming one of them. I am one of them. And then the next part's where he goes to do that job, and then it all comes out. And then uh, I think uh, in the film, Al Pacino's character. Uh, He's got Al Pacino as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, me. So all star cast. Suggest, it suggests at the end of the film that he gets taken out for vouching for uh, Donnie Brasco. But that's just for the film. In the book, I believe it was Sonny Black, who's also a character in said film. Mm. Uh, he he was the one that actually got taken out for vouching for him. And Lefty, Al Pacino's character, ends up in jail in reality. But in the film because the, they focus so much around Donnie Brasco and Lefty's relationship, which was a real yeah. thing. They were the closest in that uh, group. They suggest that Al Pacino's character gets taken out, because there's a, a scene, one of the last scenes in the film, uh, or maybe even the last scene, is Al Pacino's character uh, in his home, and he says, I've got to go do something for business. And at the end, before he leaves the door, he takes all of his personal possessions off, like rings and wallet and stuff and leaves it on the counter and then leaves which suggesting that he knows that yeah the, the end is near for, for vouching for a, a, a fed as they as they would call it uh so yeah and then the the eerie music starts playing in that and it's a it's a really powerful film and especially having read the book as well and seen it got over 200 convictions uh you know out of you know the mob that was yeah. pretty rampant in america at the time and whatnot. yeah and i mean yeah it's a strong it's a strong base you've got a strong Strong argument. <sighs> I'm already on the fence, people. But I'm going to come out swinging. Yeah, come on, make, <laughs> make your case. <laughs> Convince right. me, man. So, Bunraku is a very, very peculiar film. Um, not that it's like... It's, I wouldn't say it's like a weird film. Like It's not about anything dodgy or anything like that. But the way that it's kind of shot... It, 
it makes it feel almost like a comic book. Right. There are there are scenes in it where you're like this. It feels almost like it could be straight out of a comic book. Is this an anime film? Just no, like, no, it's no. it's not. This is this is live action. It's got quite um, an all star cast. It's got Ron Perlman. It's got Joshua Har Harnett. Harnett, mm-hmm. that's the one. Um, uh, it's got Woody Harrelson. Love Woody Harrelson. Yeah, I'm a big fan. <laughs> but the, the, it's, his part in this film is actually quite strange. He plays um, a bartender. Well, basically, the, the story of this one is um, about two heroes. They come from very different backgrounds. Um, they both have an issue within the city. Right. Um, and the city is controlled by this character called the Woodsman, who is Ron Perlman. Now, he's the big bad guy. He controls everything. He controls the Redcoats, which is the strongest faction, which basically run the whole main city and all the other little surrounding towns. So it's kind of like a bit of a dystopian kind of yeah, environment. You, you, yeah. yeah, exactly. You, you're not... see you, you don't know that it's... Earth, you can guess it's Earth because it's humans. They've got cars, you know. It's all that kind. Of, but you, when you look at it, it's also kind of futuristic. Mm. So, and it's got sci-fi kind of elements to it, with like I say, certain sceneries. It, it's very, it's very artistic, is a word. So it, it is very eye-catching, and when you're watching it, you do get quite lost. Um, Kevin McKidd's another one that's oh, in it. Oh, yeah, famous guy. Uh, from fam- Scotland. Well, I say famous guy. Incredible famous actor yeah. from Elgin. Scotland! <laughs> now living in Los Angeles, though, so he's, he's doing well for himself. He knows where he came from. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it's these two heroes are based... Well, one, one of the um, actors I've left out is... I'm not 100% sure on how you pronounce his name. Um, obviously a martial arts expert. He comes dressed in like a black robe. He looks very samurai, is how mm-hmm. I would explain him. He's got, he's got like kind of long hair, but carries a sword. I'm pretty sure his name is either Geng or Gang. It's, it's one of them. Or I might be pronouncing it wrong, mm-hmm. but it's one of them. Um, so the heroes are based on him and Joshua Hartnett. Harlot. Harnett. Harnett. Um, so that's who the two heroes are based on. Um, and it's basically how they can help each other overthrow the woodsman. Right. Um, and like I say, so his strong faction, the Redcoats, they basically go around and destroy the city, destroy families. They've killed Joshua Harnett. Harnett's family. Um, so it's a dictatorship at this point. It is. Yeah. That's how it is ruled. It is. You do what the woodsman says, mm-hmm. otherwise the Redcoats come around. I mean, they come around and extort people, which is where... Ging comes in because he's at his family's restaurant. Mm. Redcoats come in, offend him, offend his family, start stealing food, and then Ging basically. I can't even say he like proper dishes out an ass whooping because he doesn't. He just kind of uses self defense mm. more than anything else. And then he does do one kind of move where you're like, you did just destroy a table for the sake of it. Then that was a bit like, <laughs> come on, like really <laughs> dramatic effect, man. Yeah, that, that that was it though. It was, but it's that's. I think that's the way it's shot. It's so it is just like that was purely just for dramatic effect. Mm-hmm. That is what that scene is all about. Um, and like I say, yeah, so his, his uncle's food place is totally destroyed. You know, family business gone down the drain. Um, but he's also there to take on the woodsman to basically free his people and reclaim honor to his family and so on and so forth. So him and Josh, they, they have this, they basically have like a, a co-partnership. But they also have a fallout before this kind of blossoms so after this has happened to them on two separate scenes because they've not met each other at this mm. point they meet in the bar which is where Woody Harrelson comes into it right and he's the one who basically explains to you what is happening in this film with a pop-up book oh. 
So he sits there, he goes, oh, I like art. And he's like, what are you doing? He's like, you know, art comes in many forms. And he starts, he starts opening up this book and these pop-ups come up. And this is where he starts telling you there's two heroes. And then they come here to defeat the evil, blah, blah, blah. But you know that it's based on the woodsman. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, like I say, I, can't, I struggle trying to explain a film. But you can imagine trying to watch this film because I've broken it down almost as it falls. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine watching it up until this point thinking, I have no idea what is going on. I, was like, I love like how nice it looks and some of the little quirky kind of narrator um narratoring that happens like oh, narration. oh yeah well, sorry narration <laughs> that happens all of a sudden like the red coats walk into a building with no chime or anything mm-hmm. but it goes bing bong red coats <laughs> and it you're must like be, what? it must be um quite a powerful thing that it can keep people hooked without well, necessarily like, being able to follow the story up until that point yeah i would imagine we're quite deep into the film yeah you are point. um because when they when they become like a co-partnership like you say they come become a kind of co-partnership because they beat the crap out of each other. Mm. Um, and Woody Harrelson's the judge. And he sits there and he's like smoking a cigar. It starts to rain. He busts out a little, a little pretty umbrella. Like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's pink. And he's just sitting there just watching them actually beat the crap out of each other. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, Ging's doing his whole martial arts, battering him. Joshua's a bit of a boxer. So he's kind of like bobbing and weaving and whacking him. And oh, it's, it's a good fight scene. It is a really good fight scene. And like the scenery for that, once again, is beautiful because you've, it's almost like they're suspended up in some kind of really run-down warehouse with multiple floors, but yet the floor they're on, you, you can see through the slats, so you know they're suspended high, but yet the floor they're on is all mucky and dirt, and it's like actual mud, and I'm like, how... Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I know there's difference in landscapes, I understand that, but when it's portrayed like they're almost in a multi-story kind of barn, really rickety-looking barn, and then all of a sudden one of the top floors that they're on is just earth i'm a bit yeah i am a little bit confused by it but plays with your mind a bit yeah it does but i think once again that's the whole point of this kind of film Mm -hmm. that's why it's shot the way it's shot that's why certain colors in that film are popping on a lot are a lot more lively than the ones you'd expect to see so say if you get a real dark scene you don't expect to see like a really bright luminous pink yeah Mm -hmm. but that's the way it's kind of shot it has that kind of sin city effect you know how sin city done the same thing with the the black and the white in the first film and then, like, colours like red came out. They were still dark, but they were vibrant. Mm-hmm. This film does the exact same thing with a whole spectrum of colours. It doesn't just focus on, like, three. It focuses on a lot. But uh, it's done so cleverly, and it's timed so perfectly. You just... At once you don't... It, it flows so smoothly that it doesn't... You don't really notice it, but you do notice bright colours out of nowhere, and mm-hmm. you're just a bit like, wow. <laughs> you know, like, One thing I uh, have noticed about films over the years... As I used to be all about dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. I was actually talking to this uh, with uh, Sean Saul, the, the filmmaker that I had on for episode four, yeah. about one of his films, because I'd watched all of his short films again in preparation for doing the podcast with him. And I was saying that he, like, one thing that I've really uh, seen is he had a film with quite a lot of dialogue in it, and then he had another film that a lot of the tone. And uh, story was set by atmosphere, which yeah. is kind of what you were saying there with like the colors, the and atmosphere. You're you're definitely hitting the nail on the head there, because um, yeah, you, you get you get a lot of the information from the surroundings and from what you're seeing as as opposed to what you're watching that person say. Mm-hmm. Like instead of getting a lot of context, you are right; it's a lot more visual. But you get you're getting so much information just from the visual. Um, but yeah, as, like I say, they they beat the crap out of each other. Um, they team up. They take on the they take on the woodsman, big bad Ron Perlman. Um, and yeah, essentially, kind of save the day. They don't stick together. 
they kind of drift ways and uh you know woody harrelson sat there and he's like well you never know with his little storybook you mm-hmm. never know these heroes might meet up again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that that's kind of how it ends you know i mean all these people like um kevin mckid he was a you could almost say he was a captain of the red coat so he worked for the woodsman um and he was a very dangerous fighter in this one when he he was a bit eccentric mm-hmm. it's another good word to use for him um he had a little a handkerchief which i'm positive was a very very deep red different red to what the red coat's uniform was so once again that's another color scheme where it just pops because it's an added little visual factor mm-hmm. and he just liked having it around he was very flamboyant is another word i'd use with it and he'd pull out his sword and he was very 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 kind of well, I wouldn't want to be in a, a ring with you at all. One, yeah, because, yeah. one because you're hench, and two because you're moving around with that thing like a like a dancer. Yeah, like, he was very very nimble, nimble and he was very yeah, very man. fluent. And yeah, it was it was good. Um, a lot of like I say, I really enjoyed the film. But the one thing I am going to say right now is I'm definitely conceding that to uh, Donny Brasco. One one, yes. I'm going to have to watch that film though. Von like, Raku, it's, it's like I say, not a lot of people have heard of it. But well, if you're up for an interesting watch, I would definitely say. We're going to have to uh, make notes of, because you've not seen or haven't seen Donnie Brasco enough to see the whole kind of, uh, maybe not story, but like, the, you, you know what I mean? To yeah. see the whole experience of the film. And I've not seen uh, Van Raku. Van Raku. Well, we will have to uh, rectify these, <laughs> these gaps in our yes. memory by watching said films. But yeah, thank you very much. That's uh, no one, one. Moving on to film number eight, which I have... Shawshank. The Shawshank Redemption. Now, everyone loves the Shawshank Redemption. I mean, even I bloody loved that film. Um, I thought it was fantastic. So, I mean, this is going to be another difficult one. Um, I'm going to chuck up... I'm actually going to chuck up Fight Club. Now, this is going to be... Because I've seen both films, as I'm sure you have as well. So, this is going to be... This is going to be intense because I was quite worried <laughs> when I do. I actually was trying to fit an animated film in the top ten somewhere because I've went quite. I've um, got well, it's not like a proper anime film, but there's there's an animated character mm-hmm. in one of my films, which is constantly animated. So I'm I'm looking we're, forward we're, to that we're one. Ki- we're kind of in there, yeah. and I, I had one in there, right? And then I was I, I was having a look at the, the films that I'd, I'd watched on, on Netflix or, mm. or Amazon Prime or something like that. Uh, just to refresh my memory, because you know you do forget that you've watched some things and, yeah. and so on. And yeah, that definitely. Came up, and I know a lot of people are probably going to hate me for having that so low down the list in the top ten because it, it is sometimes viewed as the greatest film of all time. Yeah, it's a well, it's very, it's a very good film. You know, it uh, is a very good film. It's got really good competition here because I'm a big fan of Fight Club just because of Ed Norton's performance oh, was spectacular, mate. Like Ed, right. Edward Norton. It's just, he, I mean, I heard he might be difficult to work with and that, but it's, it just seems so worth it. Like, I actually watched... If a, that's the end product. A recent film of his that he made, uh, Motherless Brooklyn. If you ever get the chance to watch it, I highly recommend it. But we're not here to talk about that. <laughs> on our that's it. So, do you want to go first this time? Or Yeah, I mean, I'll go first with Fight Club. I mean, we've all seen it. You all think it's about, well, Ed, good old Ed Norton making friends with Brad Pitt now. We all know that's not the case. No. It's is it multiple personality disorder? Yeah, he, he's uh, a figment of his imagination. Like he, it's like schizophrenia the, or yeah, something like it's, that. It's it, along that kind of line. It lines. turns out like uh, he, you know, he's severely mentally ill. It would appear. Yeah, and he's 
He's split he's, into Brad yeah, Pitt. All, all so his the, alter ego is All the bad stuff that's happened to him in his life and all the bad stuff that he wants to get out of. This, it's almost like his, like his moral compass is kind of split because yeah. he sees himself as quite uh, a good guy, a noble person. And Brad Pitt's the more extreme... <laughs> Badass. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, more irrational and whatnot. And it turns mm-hmm. out that that's actually a part of him that's kind of went in, uh, not supernaturally, but yeah. it's went on its own kind of tear without even his knowledge because he kind of wakes up to the fact of what's happening. And he still sees Brad Pitt in that after he realises yeah. all this. Just, which is what's confusing him, a major breakdown later on in the yeah. film. <laughs> but yeah, as, as we know, so um, Ed Norton... Uh, Suffering a, well, we're just going to say a split personality for now, mm. just to make it a bit easier. I mean, we all we all know, we've all, well, who, 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 yeah, to all of us who have seen it, you know what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, as the film transpires, he kind of starts deciding to beat himself up, yeah. really, in a car park, um, and to say that, it's like, why are you doing it? It's like, well, why not, mm. you know? And then what transpires from there is they start getting a little underground space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which Brad Pitt slash Ed Norton kind of keep for themselves by bleeding all over the guy who tries to kick them out <laughs> by letting him oh, yeah, the, get punched like a, in the face repeatedly. Or politician, something like that. Comes yeah. In, yeah. And he just allows him to beat him. Mm. Just to, and he just says, Is that all you got? Ah, yeah. I'm, is it, I'm dirty. Or oh, you don't know where I've, or what I've got. Or you don't know where I've been. And he's like spitting all his it's, blood all over him, laughing. It's a downward spiral of uh, mental state, right? Cause it's you, going straight down early, to madness. Early in the film, you can tell this person's in a bad place because mm-hmm. he doesn't sleep. He's no, insomniac. he's insomniac. Yeah. Uh, and he's going to uh, therapy groups for quite, you know, sensitive issues like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's one for uh, people that have cancer, and then there's, yeah, other, there's other ones for, is it like single parents or, or something mm-hmm. like that? And testicular cancer yeah, is one of them, yeah. And he, he goes to all these things to make himself feel better because he feels it's a cathartic experience, even though he has no relation to yeah. said experience. So you can tell there's quite a, um, not a mean streak, but... You know, there's a bit of a narcissism yeah, to that in itself. lack of empathy kind of thing. Otherwise, what you wouldn't be there, <laughs> so, yeah, you know? Exactly, yeah. um, so, yeah, obviously, like, the film keeps on transpiring so that they actually create Fight Club. And now uh, we all know the rules of Fight Club. Oh, we don't talk about... Like, we, we do not, not talk, talk about, about it, Fight Club. But we're talking about it, so we've already broken it. So, I'm not in Fight Club, I swear. <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. button has been pushed. <laughs> um... But yeah, you know, it's they basically become almost like a terrorist organization. Mm-hmm. You know, they they've got bombs. They're they're almost militarized. They're they're following orders set by Ed Norton, who like still at this point has no idea that he's doing it. Pretty um, much like a cult, right? Because when yeah. he does realize what's going on, he tries to get all of them to stop, but he's like, he's forced uh, them all. So you told us you would say this, sir. Implanted this brainwashing into all of his followers mm. that yeah, and everyone's in on it. Literally like, everyone's in this, on it. Is this a test? Yeah. Is this a test? No, this is not a test. <laughs> Even the cops are in on it. Like, yeah. That's one of the most like shocking parts First of the rule film. Of Fight like, Club. We don't talk about, about Fight, Fight Club. Club. <laughs> so, and yeah, I mean, as we know, as it ends, he basically tries to um, t- take his own life because at this point he's realized that Brad Pitt is him, him but he yeah. is still seeing. Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt. So he takes a gun, he takes his gun, sticks it in his mouth and tries to blow his brains out. But what that's what you see what happens to Brad Pitt. But what happens to Ed Norton is that it's actually out the back of his throat almost, isn't it? He's actually yeah. still alive. Which I thought was a bit, you know, if you, if, 
So if, you, if you're going to shoot yourself there, why isn't it, why isn't he shot there? Which, yeah. which was the only down part in my head. I, I get it. It was the only way for him to kind of kill that part of himself. Mm. But it was drastic. But it was a very powerful film, definitely, and, and a very aware film. The end scene is when Helen Bonham Carter, uh, his character, comes in that's uh, been like his love interest throughout the film. Yeah, which um, he also wasn't aware of for some of it. Yeah, because, <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. She, she's in love with the kind of more extreme part of his personality, yeah, which Brad is Brad Pitt. Pitt. And uh, it's just he fails to stop this attack that he set up. All these buildings start blowing up around him and that. And he just kind of calmly turns to her and says, you met me at a really peculiar time in my life. And mm. yeah, very powerful film psychologically. Very, very powerful film. So The Shawshank Redemption uh, is a film, as most of us will know, but for those who don't, is about a film... Um, I was about to say about prison, but it's not about prison. It's about... I think it's set in, to start off with, it's set in the 1940s, maybe late 1930s, mm. of a penitentiary uh, that a man who is accused of murdering his wife gets sent to, and uh, it also sees from another perspective the inmates that have also been there for a long time, like Morgan Freeman's character has, yeah. he, I believe he actually murdered someone, so he's in there for a significant yeah. period of time, like 40, 50 years, something like that. And there's a like a th- Morgan Freeman kind of narrates the whole film as well. Um, which is so it's, kinda, it's almost like he's telling you the story. Yeah, it's kind of similar to how some of Edward Norton's films go. Like he narrates himself, and it's quite a powerful uh, way to set up a film, I think. Definitely, especially with that voice. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry, but his voice. It, oh, it's the yeah. most iconic vi- voice of all time. Oh, yes, without a doubt. Without yeah. a doubt. Morgan Freeman we're talking about here. Yes. Although I'm not <laughs> saying that Edward Norton's is not iconic, but it's just not as iconic as Morgan Freeman's. Yeah, exactly. Which he would have to concede if he was... <laughs> but, um, uh, so, yeah, Andy Dufresne, which is... Oh, I can't remember the actor that plays him again. I think is it Tony Robbins or something like that? Oh, uh, I can't remember his know, name. But we, we know... We, I know who you're on about. Fact check us in the comments if I've got that wrong. But uh, <laughs> uh, He enters prison, and he is basically seen as the one that's going the to fish. break... Yeah, he's going to break first because they take bets and that. Uh, and he's actually quite calm. He's quite... Uh, Didn't make a peep. Yeah, he's not He's not as what you would expect someone in that situation. Because I believe, is he like a lawyer or something on the outside? or No, he was an accountant. Um, an accountant, yeah. An accountant. yeah. Uh, so you would think this is... You know, it's not like he's a hardened criminal or anything no. like that. But no, he, he's very calm. And it's quite a disturbing opening when... They're all there, and um, one of the inmates is basically, you know, crying for his mum, wants to get out of there. And that, as most normal people would react to being in a maximum security prison like that. Yeah, very scary kind of surroundings. So. And uh, he takes quite a beating from one of the head guards, if I remember correctly. Like yeah, he, he does. Yeah. And it's all, like, silent from there, because it's all, like, laughing and joking to begin with, like, who's going to break first, and then, like, mm-hmm. everything just kind of... But anyway, so he, Andy Dufresne, uh, he def- he befriends Morgan Freeman's character and they kind of, he's uh, in within their group, right? Mm-hmm. And as it goes along, he takes a lot of beatings and a lot of despicable attacks from a group. Yeah. Uh, but he actually manages to make a way into prison and I say a better life for the rest of that uh circle in prison by actually helping the guards out with their taxes and, and yeah so he does so forth. yeah to make and it like easier for himself, when yeah. they're all cleaning the roof and he overhears the guy complaining about um t- 
tax or something like it's that. A, it's to do with his, yeah, I think it was his wife yeah, or something like that. Yeah, some kind of settlement, and he helped him out with that, so they all yeah. get, like, a couple beers. A couple suds, as he uh, says. Yeah, uh, and it gets to the point where I think they, because this dude's incredibly intelligent, he starts teaching people in the prison. He does, um, yeah. He, he takes one guy under his wing to help him get grades, doesn't yeah. he? Or well, to learn open, English. and read a library as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah he does. Um, Sends it, thousands of letters yeah. to get books and finally, finally gets them. <laughs> uh, there's a there's a guy that uh, I wouldn't say works in there, but is in that area as well. The the older guy has the the, with the, 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 the bird. Hole, the yeah. bird. Um, he's in there, and so it basically, when they're in uh, said library or whatever, and he's helping this guy get the grades and that, this guy reveals that he was in another prison. And Andy Dufresne, because they've believed all along that he's just he's just never accepted it, that he's yeah. guilty, but he's just never accepted it in his own mind. And this guy reveals that uh, he, when he was in another penitentiary, another person admitted to the act of which Andy yeah. Dufresne is incarcerated for. So he he goes not crazy, but he's like alert and he's trying to get everyone you know alerted in that. But at the same time, the warden realizes that having him in there is actually beneficial for the prison because he's a very efficient worker in terms of the numbers and that, like we've just mentioned. So that guy that he helps uh, get grids and that gets Murder. assassinated, basically, right, so that he can't yeah, speak by out. The guards. Uh, and then Andy Dufresne kind of catches on to what the warden's doing and, and stuff like that. And you know, there's a big argument, and he gets in put into isolation. The hole, I think it is that they call it. You know, the yeah, down in the hole. Yeah. And solitary. It's a you know it's a very big blow for him, right? Because his freedom was literally right in front of him. Yeah, it was dangled in front of him, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was taken unjustifiably, really, because of corruption. Uh, So everything settles down again. Well, doesn't settle down, but you know, after he's had his punishment and that, and the story moves on because this is. 10, 15 years in the future. Like it's not like he's in there for a couple months. Like he's in there for nearly a lifetime. Yeah. Uh, so they're in the uh, library in that again. And is it Simmons? Is that the older character's name of the bird? I think it might be. I could be spreading misinformation again there, but about the film. I don't think it's Simmons. No, I can't remember. Cause he, he carves his initials into the halfway yeah. house, doesn't he? He, he gets out. And he, well, actually, it starts with, he has a guy um, at knife point, doesn't he? Yeah. And like, what, what's happened? Because, like, like, they're actually friends and that. And it turns out that he he's due for parole. And he's that institutionalized because he's been there for, what, 50 years or something like that? He's scared. He, he doesn't want to go back to the outside world. Which, yeah. you know, is a powerful thing because that is something that actually happens yeah, in people, reality. Yeah. Uh, people aren't aware how fast change can happen. So he gets out. And he, I think he gets a job as like, um, and obviously the world's different because it's like 1950 something at this point, maybe 1960 something. He's been in there for 50 years. So when he went in there, 1910, mm. bef- you know, before the invention of automobiles to a, a grand scale, you know, two world wars have happened. So yeah. much stuff has happened in the time that he has been incarcerated. Uh, I think he gets a job as um, a supermarket or something yeah, like that. Pack, I remember packing bags. Packing yeah. bags. Uh, and he. Basically can't take it, so he decides to commit suicide. Commit suicide, and that's what you're talking about. He leaves the initials, and I think he might have he writes a letter to the the inmates um, that he was with as well. Because I, I think there's a scene where Morgan Freeman's kind of reading, like it's 
or maybe it's just them getting informed that he's done that. Yeah, I think they get informed, and it's when Morgan Freeman finally gets out. He goes to the same yeah. halfway house, and he sees his initials, initials. up there, doesn't he? And I think that kind of drives him to yeah, be like, I'm yeah. not going to do that. A, yeah, because he kind of gets the same, because he's been in there when he eventually gets out for 40, 50 years again, and he's tried to get parole countless times, because there's, there's little uh, markers in the film. I think he goes about three or four times before he goes... And try parole, parole gets denied, and they they ask him, well, "Do you think you've been rehabilitated?" So on and so forth. Uh, but before we get to that point, uh, Andy Dufresne kind of realizes that you know uh, enough is enough. Well, actually, no, not not that really, because when he he makes an escape and he goes, which he's planned for the entire time, <laughs> the, the first day that he or the second day when he asks for that tool, mm-hmm. he's been planning this. So what, 15, 20 years, perhaps? Digging a hole through a cell wall. In the cell wall. Uh, Smashing a pipe with a rock. Covered with a poster. Climbs all the way through the sewage to get out. Uh, so he escapes. Uh, and there's an iconic scene where the warden and the guards and that are in his cell. He's like, how did he get out of here? And stuff like that. And he's questioning all the... Like, Picks Morgan up one of Freeman's. his little chess pieces, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, and he throws it and it goes through the poster. <laughs> and then he just kind of like... Goes up to it like, it. what? And then, and then it's just like this uh, clo- well, reverse angle of it, uh, the camera looking at him through the the tunnel, the tunnel, and it kind of zooming out and you know seeing all the kind of stuff that he's done mm-hmm. to get out, which is a really elaborate escape. It's when he's plan when he's planting that sewage pipe and he's doing it at the same time as the light uh, as the thunder. You're just like, oh, you clever, clever yeah. man! Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> so, um. And then, so it comes to where we were just talking about Morgan Freeman gets released from prison, he gets parole. But they've always talked about throughout the film meeting in a, an island or a city somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I think it's no, in the... He tells them to go to a tree. Yeah, which he's uh, he's almost set up like a, min- uh, a miniature... It's like uh, a little treasure a, a hunt. Massive <laughs> treasure hunt. Uh, so like you said, Morgan Freeman gets out and mm-hmm. he kind of tries to do the the same thing that the other character done that the couldn't pack. handle it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he, like you said, it comes to a moment of where he is in the exact same position as what that guy was and sees his initials, and it's kind of like I can't, yeah, I can't do this. Um, I didn't go for parole that many times just to, you know, end it all here. End it all here, yeah. Uh, so he ends up taking up the 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 task of trying to reunite with Andy Dufresne. Uh, who's still not well? The warden and all that have been arrested at this point, and it's all been exposed like really corrupt kind of uh, institutional uh, corruption within the the said prison. Yeah. So, he, like he said, he goes to that tree and mm-hmm. he, he digs up. Um, it's almost like a little. It's almost like a little tin, isn't it? I'm pretty yeah. Sure it's got, it's got, I'm pretty sure it's got tickets in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he manages to. Is it? I think he flies or he gets on a boat or something, and then it's something like the, that. The end scene. Is Andy Dufresne like working on um, a little boat? A little boat, yeah. And Morgan Freeman coming down uh, the beach, and they kind of reconnect, and then this, the shot kind of zooms out slowly as they're away to like kind of you know mm-hmm. embrace and whatnot, and that's where the film ends, which is another powerful ending. Powerful it was good. Ending. It was a like happy a ending. ending because yeah. it's quite an uh, emotional roller coaster. It is that film. the show. The whole film, Shawshank Redemption, is a bit of a emotional roller coaster because. You do feel bad for Andy Dufresne because he was wrongfully incarcerated. Yeah. The proof was dangled in front of him. You know, that chance was taken away because it was a greedy prison. Yeah, the whole thing, you, you do. You just like, I want this guy to get his, you know, to get his own back. Oh, and he does it. And he does it spectacularly. And it's just 
Ah, oh, it's fantastic. It is such a good film. But I am I am not conceding nothing just I, yet. I, <laughs> I, I, this is going to cause a bit of controversy, but I'm going to concede this to Fight Club because Fight I, Club. I do appreciate its uniqueness of the psychology. Yeah. And, and it was it was kind of the first film of its time to do like a major, major blockbuster to really do awareness on yeah. you know the ex- it is an extreme look on mental health a very extreme look but you know people people experience that stuff and it is maybe not to that extent maybe but not yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but i mean people do have do suffer these kind of things like alter ego split mm-hmm. personality schizophrenia all that kind of thing so yeah it was uh nice to have such a blockbuster you know and such a a nitty gritty film, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a lot putting, of strong putting violence. It, putting it lightly, you know. I mean, it also. I mean, people. It also developed a game mm. as well. Did you ever play the Fight, no, fight Club I never, game? I never played the game. If but. you ever played Hole of Meat on any kind of skateboarding game, you know, when you deliberately go yeah. around and crack bones mm-hmm. and it shows you all the bones. Well, this Fight Club game, when you're fighting mm. people, if you got a good hit on them, it would be the it same. Done thing, the X-ray yeah. and you'd watch like ribs crack and oh man, it was intense <laughs> and it was just it. It literally just made you think. I just. Just, just, just Fight Club. Fight Club's amazing. Such a good film. So yeah. So number eight goes to Fight Club. Right. Spot number seven. I have. Ooh, this is going to be interesting. I have Train Spotting, a film that probably defined the generation in this country. I feel. Right. I was going to try save my one because I wasn't too. Sh- I wasn't too sure, but I'm not. I'm going to go with. Uh, it's essentially. It's almost like the same kind of it. It's not the same storyline. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I know Train Spot and storyline can it gets a little bit dark. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but this one's a bit more it's still the same kind of thing, it's to do with drugs and friends. So yeah. it's it's human traffic. Okay. I've not seen this film, so you will have to explain to me. Human traffic is essentially a film about a group of friends and like it introduces you to who they all are. And then it basically shows you the build-up of the night that they're going out on. So it's a whole build-up from them getting ready, from them sorting things out, from them making sure they got their supplies, to them meeting up, to them actually getting essentially wrecked, mm. being in clubs and uh, all the stories they start talking about. And the, the way some of it's done, like there's a, a scene near the beginning, I'm pretty sure it's John Sim. Pretty sure it's John Sim, a young John Sim. Um, and he's in this, he's in a clothing store where there's loads of piles of jeans everywhere. And um, the scene of him, he's he's stood there and he sees the next girlfriend come in, and he he know he gets starts getting all embarrassed. And you're like, all right, what's going on here? Now the movement of the the old kind of failed hookup and the her new partner come mm-hmm. up like they're on a conveyor belt. You don't see them actually stepping; they just moving ever forward towards okay. where John Sim is at, at the till. And then it, this is all not what's happening. Obviously, this is what he's just... Imagining. Yeah, visualizing. And she's wearing this T-shirt, which it says, basically said... No, he's wearing a T-shirt, which says Mr. Floppy. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was he, 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 he couldn't get it up and he yeah. couldn't, couldn't do the business. And it played such a big thing on him. And he basically... It comes, it comes around when she's like, you know why wouldn't it work? (laughs) And uh, it breaks back to these two real butch guys stood there going, he couldn't get it up for (laughs) the birds. The birds! (laughs) But that's just, literally, this is one of the opening scenes. Sounds like a a football pub in East London or something like that. Honestly, (laughs) it's, oh man, it's out there. And when it introduces you to um, Coop, his best friend, Coop works in a vinyl, Mm. a vinyl vinyl shop, so he's pushing vinyls. and he's so slick with what he says. Like a guy comes in, he's like, oh, "I'm looking for some 
certain genre of music um uh, just say some like some rap he's like ah oh, I've got the uh, I've got the best rap. It just came in the vine this morning, yeah, <laughs> and it's, yeah, yeah. like puts it on. Like one of the names I'm not going to repeat because it's it is it's it's racist. I can't I can't say that. Okay. So, um, but it's it is funny. It is actually funny the way he does it, the way he portrays it, mm-hmm. and it's he, he tries to explain. He's basically trying to rob a guy, mm-hmm. basically by like taking more money for what this vinyl is actually worth, and he's like, you know, artists like music artists. You know how when painting artists. Their money, no, their art gets more expensive when they die. Well, with music artists, their stuff gets well more expensive when they get locked down. <laughs> so, so that's his excuse for trying to get like 40 quid out of one vinyl. Love how like, you just reenacted that scene there. <laughs> it's like, oh man, but Coop, he is, he's fantastic. He's so funny. Um, and him and John Tim have loads of good points together throughout the night. Like when they're at actually like in the starting area in the pub, just having a casual drink, having a chat, and then they move to the club, and then they move to the after party. But there's there's honestly there, there's not enough hours in the day to try explain all this film to you because mm. it, it is you just need to know it is well worth a watch. It is it's got Danny Dyer, a young Danny Dyer in it, <laughs> a young Danny Dyer. He plays a character called Moth, who basically plays like a 30-year-old guy who just won't move out of his parents' house. Mm. Um, I, don't even, I don't even say, I don't think he plays 30. I think he might even play like a mid-20s kind of guy. Yeah. He just doesn't want to move out of his parents' house. Um, and it kind of shows you all the chaos he gets involved. Like he starts masturbating and his mum walks in and he's, oh, he's all totally embarrassed. Yeah. And it's, oh. But there's scenes of him and John Sim, like Danny Dyer's on the toilet and he's on the phone. And then John Sim's ringing him. He's going, all right, brav. He's like, yeah. yes, brava. And yeah, they're just going, yeah. all right, brav. They're just doing like the WhatsApp thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. it's just like, brav. <laughs> brav. <laughs> and they're screaming and beers going everywhere all over Danny Dyer while he's just sat on the toilet, like, you know, like doing his business, but going mad on the phone. Yeah, <laughs> <coughs> but the whole atmosphere oh, of the film, it does, it just makes you want to, it makes you want to go out and basically get absolutely smashed and have right. a real good time. Because it's based in Swansea. That's where it's based. So it's based, based in, in Wales. Wales. Yeah. The whole thing is based in Wales. Oh. Um, but yeah, oh, it's such a good film. It's just, it's so good. It's one of the films that when you watch it, you will go home and you're like, I am going to watch that again. Because mm. that was, that was phenomenal. It was actually just phenomenal. I'll have to, I'll have to watch that one as well. Yeah. The one thing it does lack is... It doesn't because it doesn't really have drama. There's no like doom. Yeah, there's no doom and gloom. There's, like, so it's it's a good thing I would say. It mm. is like just a kind of there's a, there's parts where you're like, oh, this might go a bit sideways yeah, kind yeah. of style. But there's nothing that's really making you like, oh, this is like a dark mm. dark moment. There's no dark moments in it, as long as you kind of understand what's what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> so, <coughs> so my case for Train Spotting in this is I think it's a film that defined a feeling of the nation at the time and I wasn't uh, born to experience this but from what I've seen of behind the scenes and uh, document uh, documentaries on said film and whatnot, everyone basically knows what Trainspotting's about it's not uh, just about you know the whole heroin consumption lifestyle that happens to the characters in the film I see it as a film that's about redemption and about overcoming journey. overcoming something, an obstacle. An obstacle. The addiction is the obstacle that they can't get over. And uh, Mark Renton finds himself in the same scenarios and stuff. And he's always trying to aspire to do a, you know, have a better life, right? But he always mm-hmm. ends back up in the, pl- the first space that he was at the start of the film. Mm-hmm. 
And to, to keep it brief on it, because a lot of people will have watched the film and that, and I highly re- recommend watching the film, because I'm going to go into why I think it should be in here just off of the, imp- like the kind of aura around it. Yeah. So at the end, they do a deal. Uh, one of the guys that isn't addicted uh, to the, the drugs that they're taking and that, uh, Begbie, uh, sets up this stuff. And they, they make £16,000. There's four of them, so they're going to split it four ways, four grand. Uh, and there's a bit in a bar where Begbie, who's a bit of a... No, I say a bit. It is a loose cannon. Uh, is that Carlisle? Robert Carlisle, yeah. yes. Uh, he gets into a fight with a a guy in the pub because knock each other pints off or something like I'm that. I'm pretty sure it's because he actually throws a pint. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like it starts him himself. They, they knock into each other. Then he throws a pint. Out. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, that's the you're talking about when he's. Yeah, the, yeah. That's that's earlier in the film. Yeah, he, that's what I thought you're on few, about. Few fights in, a, in pubs, but anyway, Mark Renton kind of comes to the conclusion that he nothing's going to change. They're always going to be in these scenarios, and if he wants to improve his own life, he's going to have to do one last horrendous thing, and um, which is rip the rest of them off by taking the money and running is which exactly does this film has one of the most um appropriate endings i think and there was a second film made and i don't even think the second film was bad but i think that they shouldn't have made it because i think it was good enough as just one yeah i just think the kind of thought provoking at the end of the first film just mm-hmm. from that ending alone is iconic because I mean that it's Train Spotting is a powerful film. Yeah, it is a powerful film. Like like you say, it talks about addiction. It talks about every little dark hole addiction can take you through to and make you stay in. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's I mean this the scene with the baby and that yeah. like that. I'm not being funny. Train Spotting is one of those films. I have I have watched it. I've watched it more than once. I'm not the biggest fan of the film, and it's generally due to that that scene. Yeah, I just because it, it makes you feel uncomfortable. It right? makes me feel real uncomfortable. But it only makes you feel uncomfortable because you know that 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 stuff happens. Yeah, like it, 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 it's not self reflection in terms of like you do that. Yeah, yeah. It's obviously, obviously, I don't. Yeah, yeah. it's a reality. Yeah, you're right. It's a reality check that this stuff happens, and mm. it can. Ha- it is happening on like everyone's doorstep. You know, I mean, people everywhere are doing. Well, maybe not ev- not everyone, you know. Obviously, not everyone, but there are. There's always someone in it, at least everywhere, you know, yeah. doing something like they shouldn't be. Especially like bloody heroin, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, if you know, it's a life destroyer that yeah. one. It's and so yeah, and they decided to do a film on it, man. It's yeah. crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Well, but eye opening, definitely eye opening. In in the nineties as well, when it was released, it was the it was kind of a new era. It was, I know it all went to crap in the end but mm-hmm. new labor had just gotten in there had been a conservative government for like 30 35 years everyone thought this was the end to austerity things were going to get better the people were gonna, obviously it didn't turn out like that but the feeling around that which was kind of encapsulated in that film there was great hope for everyone of yeah everyone's life was going to change and stuff like that and i think that film represents that in a great way and like i said i don't even particularly dislike the second film i just think the first one first one enough. ends as perfectly as you could end it on so yeah, uh, I guess it's decision time. <sighs> but this is this is where we, this is where we do we really need a third for this one, don't we? Yeah, human traffic is like I say, it's a lot like train spotting. It's, it's a group of friends are all doing drugs, mm-hmm. all different kinds of drugs. It's like I say, you get to see what 
they think's happening. You get to see them in certain scenarios when they are on drugs. You get to see them in the same scenario when the drugs are wearing off. So you get to see the good point. Yeah, you yeah. get to see the highs. You get to see the, the lows. lows. But it's always portrayed in like not like a proper comedy side, but it is portrayed where it does make you giggle. You yeah. are like, <laughs> oh, me. Like, ah, uh, but then, I don't know, McGregor, Scotland. Kevin McKidd's in it again, man. Ah. Train spotting. Yes. Fuck. <laughs> 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 we're not even halfway through this as well. We've been going for an hour. We knew this wasn't going to be an no, easy one. This is just debates, people. Yeah. We, we, this, we only decided to do an episode on this, you know, literally just to let you kind of see us talk about it. Um, and see us in a bit more of a relaxed atmosphere. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, we're but we're gonna get a bit tense pretty soon. <laughs> so. Okay, but what we got? I've got oh, the departed. Okay, there's nothing on this earth that is going to convince me to con- uh, can see the departed. So I've not watched the departed. Well, you'll you'll hear about it in a second. Right, I'll put Pulp Fiction. <laughs> good, 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 good counter argument. But I'm still not conceding. I'm not doing it. Not doing it. Right, well, considering you've not watched The Departed, I'll take the lead on this one. Who's the main actor? Everyone. Oh, it's got one of the most stacked casts I've ever seen in my life, right? So you've it's got Caprio. Matt Damon, DiCaprio, <gasps> Mark Wahlberg, Martin Sheen, Alec Baldwin. Everyone. Jack Nicholson. Everyone. everyone. <laughs> Through the kitchen sink at this one. Martin, <laughs> Martin Scorsese <laughs> won an Oscar for Best Director, finally. After all those great films, he finally got one. So The Departed is basically, uh, it's not like Donnie Brasco, but there's an undercover element to it. So it follows multiple factions. Matt Damon uh, is someone that has went through the police system to become a detective and that, but he's actually corrupt uh, when he's met. Jack Nicholson is like the mob leader in this film, and he meets Matt Damon when he's a kid in a diner. Right, okay. And he works for him, and he is kind of planted to, you know, help Jack Nicholson out because obviously he controls higher up in the Boston police system. Right, okay. Leonardo DiCaprio is a guy called Billy Costigan. He's from a, you know, kind of like a crime, not a crime family, but a family that gets into trouble. He's not meant to be a police officer, but he gets in through the academy, but they don't want to use him as a patrol officer. So Martin Sheen and Mark Wahlberg, who are also two higher-ups in the police, legit higher-ups in the police, yeah, uh, say to him, we need you to uh, do this undercover thing because you've got experience of, of being in this type of life and that. And there's always a, a famous uh, saying, it's like, do it again for me. Yeah. Uh, so he agrees to do that. He goes to prison um, to be part of his undercover uh, operation to convince him that he's not a police officer or anything. Um, and so there's a lot of dr- drama and betrayal that happens in this film. Mm-hmm. DiCaprio kind of goes a, a close to the edge with being in this stressful situation because like he's we, such a good actor. Yeah, I oh love, yeah, DiCaprio's amazing. Oh, he's and <laughs> I'm worried. Uh, I'm worried. So he's on that side of things. Matt Damon's on the side of uh, like you know stopping anything from happening to Costello, which is Jack Nicholson's character. Yeah, and then they kind of realize that there's probably a mole in the organisation when they, they see what's happening and him constantly being one step ahead of them and that. 
And they put Matt Damon in charge of finding the mole, which is, like he says, he meets Jack Nicholson in the cinema and he's like, I'm tasked with finding myself. But DiCaprio's there uh, in the cinema, uh, follow them and that, but he can't see Matt Damon's face. There's like a really tense scene of uh, the text that he gets from Martin Sheen's character and that is under-restricted, obviously, so that they don't know Mm -hmm. who it is that's uh, contacting them. Uh, and he nearly arrests Matt Damon at that point in the film, um, but Matt Damon accidentally, accidentally he thinks someone's following him, and he's right. But he, I think he stabs a chef that's innocently walking by, and then like he he gets away and stuff because he thought that it was the person following him. Which oh, right, it's okay. kind of legit and whatnot. Uh, but it just wasn't the chef. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah the chef was just in the wrong place, the wrong time. Yeah, <laughs> Martin Sheen gets thrown off a building. Oh wow! They know that there's an undercover in the mob at the same time, so it's a good dynamic of they know that there's someone on their side in the police, and the mob know that there's someone on their side oh, right, in the okay. mob, and they're kind of also. So Martin Sheen gets thrown off of a building after a cost against cover nearly gets blown. Very sad. I'm a big Martin Sheen fan. Mm-hmm. It's quite hard to see, but anyway, uh, to kind of fast forward to the end of this one because I don't want to give up. All the way. Yeah, I've not seen it. Uh, it sounds, sounds good. So, Costello turns out to be an FBI informant. Like, he's been dobbing everyone in. Mm. Um, Matt Damon ends up killing him because he needs to keep his own cover. This is all about portrayal, and the ending is really, really appropriate of what it represents at the end. Uh, uh, so, Leonardo DiCaprio's character comes in. And he's dealing with Matt Damon's character now because Martin Sheen died, obviously, and he got put in charge yeah. of the uh, the operation. Yeah, and he's a way to go get him his money to pay and then release him. And Leonardo DiCaprio sees this letter that he's seen whilst he was in Costello's crew that they were sending in to try and find out who the informant was in the police and they all had to send in and so that the guy in the police could do the background check. Right. So he cla- he catches on at that point that Matt Damon is the rat, so to speak. So he uh, runs out and it turns out like Costello's lawyer got in contact with him because he ends up being like the most, tr- it's kind of similar to Donnie Brazo, he ends up being the most trusted one in the mob, even though they knew he was an ex-police officer, but they yeah. are convinced that he actually went to prison and he messed it all up in that. Uh, so... He ends up getting Matt Damon to come to the bit where they threw Martin Sheen off of because he, he's played all these tapes to uh, Matt Damon through, like he sent them in, what's it, a cassette tape? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he listens to it all and like he realises like he's got so much dirt on him and it turns out like Costello's lawyer trusted him with all the stuff that Costello had after Ooh. Costello died. So there's this tense bit. Matt Damon comes up and the Capros are kind of hiding behind the the corner and then he slams the door and he ha- like has him at gunpoint and mm-hmm. he arrests him and that punches him in the face a couple of times a really intense scene and like Matt Damon's like you know I can you know just come in we'll sort this all out like Costello was mine for because he he, he kind of knows the gigs up yeah uh, and an- another cop comes that was actually in the start of the academy with DiCaprio's character. Uh, and they kind of get, this is like right at the start, they kind of become good friends. And you don't see yeah. them until this part I'm about to bring up again. And he's like, you know, step away from Sergeant Sullivan, which is Damon's character in that. And he's like, you know, like, you know me, I told you to bring Damon, which is uh, 
Mark Wahlberg's character, but uh, in the meantime of Martin Sheen's character dying and Damon's getting put in place, Mark Wahlberg's character gets signed off or something because there's a, a fight or something. Um, so there's like this tense standoff where he's got him like kind of like that. Yeah. And he's taking him down the stairs and the, the cops follow on that and they go into an elevator and he's in the elevator. He's got him handcuffed. He's going to bring him in and, you know, make, you know... Get him booked. Re- yeah, reveal that he is the... Informant, the rat, or whatever the, 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 the police have been struggling to nail organized crime for, and then in the it's quite eerie in the elevator. And Matt Damon's character kind of starts sobbing. He was like, uh, "Just kill me, man! Just, just kill me!" And like Leonardo DiCaprio's character kind of looks at him and then just goes, "I am killing you." And then as the elevator door opens, he's about to walk through. Bang! Shot through the head. DiCaprio's character just gone like that. It's one of the most shocking endings I've ever seen. Of all. I couldn't get over it. So then this other guy was here. That's, it turns out he's a corrupt officer as well. I was like, do you think you were the only one that Costello had on the inside, right? Mm. So then the guy that was upstairs with him, the, uh, the guy that was following them to begin with, you know the guy that I mentioned? That was in yeah, the yeah, yeah. He comes down, finds Leonardo DiCaprio's character dead. He kind of looks down on that. Then this guy that shot DiCaprio shoots him. So he goes... And then it look it looks like it looks like he's about to help Matt Damon escape, right? He takes the cuffs off him and that. And Matt Damon's looking at DiCaprio's body, takes DiCaprio's gun, and then shoots the guy that just saved him in the head. Because obviously, like, you know, he knows, you know, like Yeah. He knows too much. Yeah, like he knows who he is and that, so he's kinda got a bit of power over him. So you think Matt Damon's character has totally played this off because he ends up blaming that guy as the the rat and killing DiCaprio's character and stuff. So you think Matt, uh, like they get the funerals with the, the bagpipes and everything, and and you think Matt Damon's character's got away with it, right? And uh, he, he goes back to his house, and it turns out uh, DiCaprio had sent all these tapes and that to Mark Wahlberg's character. Oh. So the final scene is Matt Damon's getting into his his apartment. Shuts the uh, no, the doors open. He just looks up, and there's a guy with a, you know. You know the what the what they called the the forensics people use to like oh yeah the overalls yeah yeah, yeah. It, but it's just like the boot things and it's a guy in a tracksuit and it comes up it's Mark Wahlberg in a hat and the kind of Matt Damon's just kind of clicked on everything he's like all right and then Mark Wahlberg puts the gun up bang Matt Damon's character gone Mark Wahlberg exits puts the hat on the gloves on gone and then it just uh, Zooms into the the distance of one of the iconic buildings in Boston, and uh, this is the part I love the most. There's just a rat running along this window, <laughs> which is a very good representation of what the film is all about. A rat. That is actually really clever for that end, isn't it? It's very shocking. Like the first time I seen it, I, I couldn't get over how many people got clipped. Yeah. In like the final five minutes. <laughs> well, I mean, when when you, I like films like that, I mean. Mm. There's been this film's not on my list. I can't actually. I don't even think I can remember what it's called. But I know it, it's it's got Ryan Reynolds in space, and it's to do mm. with some kind of alien life form. Right. And when you see Ryan Reynolds, you expect him to be the main actor throughout the whole film. He yeah. was the first one to die. Mm-hmm. I was like, "What? I'm not watching this." Yeah, like, yeah. What are you on about? What do you mean Ryan Reynolds is dead? So <laughs> like, no, I'm not watching this. No way. Right. But anyway, yeah. Pulp, so Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Well, we all know Quentin Tarantino. Absolute badass. Such a strong film. Um, 
Ah, just walk, well, I mean, such so a much stuff's going on in that film. Yeah, and the, the, and the unique, time jumps are yeah, quite crazy the to unique follow. Thing about Tarantino's films, and you can say this about other things as well, like Reservoir Dogs and mm-hmm. films like that, is that the pieces aren't always in chronological order. No, no, not they're, at all. There's a lot of jumbling and mixing about. And it's like you can see someone get killed, and then the next scene you're getting to watch them from, again, again, yeah, yeah, but from like earlier on that month, and yeah. you're a bit like, oh, okay. Okay, we're going to do your history lesson. Yeah, oh, yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> it's like someone's took a bunch of clips and just thrown them at the TV, and it yeah. just works. Um, but I mean, it, yeah, I mean, you've got such a good cast in it, you know. Um, Willis, well, Samuel. Well, ex- yeah, Samuel Jackson. He's, oh, he's so good. Um, I'm forgetting his bloody name now. Harvey Keitel's Winston Wolf. Oh, yeah. John Travolta. There we go. <laughs> I'm like that. I'm thinking. I've had his face. I'm like, I can't remember his name. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like such a good film. So powerful. Um, like the direct the directing on that film is is amazing. Mm. Like it is it is a long film, and I know that it is a long film, and there are parts of it where you're like, this is I would maybe say not needed, but I mean for back in the day and for the way that Quentin Tarantino does his films, it's a masterpiece, masterpiece. If you think of some of his films that have came out since then, not a lot of them touch anywhere yeah. near how good Pulp Fiction was. If this was any other film this was going up against, I would concede. But <laughs> you know, I, I don't have it in me to concede. I have, I, do you know what? The way that you've explained The Departed, you have kind of twisted my arm. I am extremely intrigued to watch it. But I also have this feeling in my head now that I may I may have seen it, but, but I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to watch it. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to concede it myself. I may love Pulp Fiction, but... Everyone loves Pulp Fiction. Yeah, but I mean... You like have, said, you've intrigued this, me too much. If this was against Rush Hour or Train Spotting, even Donnie Brasco, I would concede, but I can't concede the departed man. <laughs> it's, it's too not good. Today. It's too good, man. Any other, well, maybe not my number one choice, but we'll get to that. Anyway, number five, what we got? I've got Forrest Gump. A bit of a common theme of edgy, action packed, undercover movies that Forrest Gump is. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, sarcasm there. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to chuck up Interstellar. Yeah, man. Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I'll let you uh, let you go first. So Forrest Gump is an emotional roller coaster in the sense of you kind of feel it as like a comedy film at first, right? You kind of feel like it's like oh, you know, it's it's all happy and that is you know it's going to keep that rhythm and then it goes to you know he struggles to run at first mm-hmm. and his mum has to do a lot to get him into school uh you know that's we'll leave, we'll leave it at that yeah um and then uh, he's running from bullies one day with these braces and he, he breaks free and then he becomes like a power runner he's like an american football player uh forrest gump has uh learning disabilities i think it's yeah, but I'm not 100% sure he, he, because his, back he, in the time when it did, you weren't really... His, his IQ is very low. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he was not the sharpest tool in the shed by all means, yeah. but the man he can He achieves run. so much in spite of that, oh, which yeah. is, I think is one of the main kind of points of the film. Uh, so he goes on to do American football, he's in the army, he's always in famous like scenes, like you know how they cut to like... Um, some protest or meeting yeah. the president. He's always there. He's always there in the background. Uh, uh, he ends up doing a shrimping business with Lieutenant Dan. Bubba Shrimp. Bubba Shrimp. <laughs> uh, he ends up running 
for like ages to the point where his beard's like almost yeah like yeah yeah <laughs> he achieves all this stuff in like a 10 15 year period mm-hmm. uh and he you know his childhood best friend slash jenny jenny is someone that he like he adores throughout the film and he keeps coming into contact with her in different scenarios and mm-hmm. and so forth and she goes through a bit of a bad time um oh she actually has his child doesn't yeah she? i, I at the oh yeah 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 forgot yeah. about that he doesn't know doesn't he no. and he's at a bus stop and he's telling all these stories to different people that are waiting for the bus yeah. to go and, that, and it's actually that's all past and that he tells them that but then it gets to a point where it's actually him on the way to see Jenny like that's why he's been there the entire time yeah. and he gets told that like it's actually just round the corner or something um, what no <laughs> uh, so yeah yeah it gets to a point where his mum passes away and that it's all really sad because he's been in the same house his entire life and yeah. he's lost people close to him and you know there's that iconic line life's like a box of chocolates that his mum comes up with you never know what you're going to get and, and stuff and that's quite upsetting to see because obviously he uh, because of his low IQ and that he's kind of blissfully I know I know you know he doesn't realise uh, certain bad things are going to happen until they've happened, right? Like yeah. When she tries to break it to him that she is going to die, he doesn't quite, quite grasp, grasp it, it until yeah. it's actually happened. And then... Always looking on the bright side of life. Always only looking on the bright side of life. Some some great message to take from that film. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he, what's the word? Rekindles with Jenny? No. Well, kind of, but I, I, I believe... Is she not, like, terminally ill? Yes, well, she finds that a lot of bombshells happen, right? Mm. He finds out that he has a son to her after, um, I guess, about one night stand or something like that. Uh, uh, Forrest Junior, I think he's called. I I can't remember. I, I think he might just be called Forrest as well. I think anyway. So he finds out that, so he's like, you know, like I'm a dad, like mm. wow. And then he starts talking, and it's, it's all good. Uh, and then she drops the other bombshell that. She's terminally ill. I think it's. A, I want to say cancer, but I can't. Yeah, really I think. I think, it, I think it is. And then uh, she ends up passing away in that house that, that he's stayed in, and that because he, you know, she lives with him again for a bit, and then he's tasked with looking after his son uh, towards the end of the film. Um, and I think he buries Jenny at the, the tree they used to sit at or something. It's, yeah. it's quite. This is where it gets kind of heart wrenching. You, you have to be a bit heartless not to to feel something <laughs> in those moments. Um, but there's a there's a scene uh, that kind of comes full circle where he gets on the bus mm. and the lady's like, are you going to get on? He says, oh, my name's Forrest Gump. And he has like the braces and that. Do you remember that where he, he gets on the bus yeah. for the first time? And Jenny's the one that lets him sit next to her and that's how like their kind of friendship starts. Mm-hmm. And then Forrest Jr., or the, the son that he's had with Jenny, goes to start school. Uh, and... He he gets on the bus, the exact same place that he got on, and it's the, still the same lady in that. But he's uh, very intelligent. The kid, it, t- it turns out. All oh, right. And the the son gets on the bus, and it's like Forrest Gump saying goodbye to his son, and that not not for like eternity, obviously. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just he's going to school. For the day. That's where the the film ends, and you know everyone's you know majority of people that watch this will have seen it, like mm. you know. It's one of the most iconic films. It's got Tom Hanks, you know. Tom Hanks was a, he was a great. He still what, is a great what, actor. What has Tom Hanks not done? Has he done a horror film? 
get involved in. That's a that's a good question. I don't think he's done a horror film. Episode eight, <laughs> <laughs> Tom Hanks. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'll let you. Uh, I actually went into that much depth through that. I've actually forgotten what one you're you're. Hitting, hitting <laughs> so yeah, Interstellar. Yeah. Oh man. Good old Matthew McConaughey. I think we know where this one's going. Yeah, first. I'm going to win. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Interstellar, a fantastic film, definite sci fi film, you know, uh, very futuristic. Um, starts off as that uh, the Earth is basically getting super polluted and that they just they can't live there. They're all essentially suffering a cough and stuff because it looks like there's everything's almost like desert like. So, mm-hmm. the, the planet's becoming unlivable. So obviously Matthew McConaughey's been like trying to find a way to survive for like for the rest of the earth to survive. So they plan on actually, I think they, they try to go to space and they have somewhere, that I believe there's a target they're actually aiming for. But what ends up actually happening is they start getting pulled towards a black hole. Because um, they, they, tr- they, they do go out to other planets because other people were sent there first but obviously the closer to this black hole that they're getting they're not realizing the time dilation mm-hmm. so they go down to one planet for what they believe to be two hours and and what actually happened to the guys that were far enough away to not be bothered by the time yeah. dilation it was it was years like they went away there was not one gray hair on them they came back they were all gray and there's only one of them left and there wasn't three left on the ship anymore mm-hmm. and you're just like wow so it's it's very factual well to a point, it was kind of factual, you know. I mean, it's it's showing your creativity with these different planets. Like there was just a planet of water, and the, the issue with it was that there was just a constant tidal wave. Yeah, <laughs> just going around the planet, just this massive, massive ass wave. You were just like, really? Because they, they they stood there and they're like, oh, it's not not very deep, you know. Uh, mm. And then the water's getting dragged, and they're like, what? And they look, and this thing's like the Empire State Building. Yeah, it is it is just a planet of a tidal wave <laughs> just coming at them. And that's the one when they go back to the, the main ship and that's when they realize about the time dilation. They've like, we've only been away for like two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, it's been, 20, been years. Like 20 years. Yeah. Um, there's an emotional kind of side to the story of what he, Matthew McConaughey's character kind of leaves his daughter behind. And yes. she actually kind of, she saves the day saves for the everyone. Day. And then, but that's due to the black hole oh. because you think that in the beginning of the film, they start thinking that there's ghosts or spirits or someone's trying to connect with them by knocking books off. And they mm-hmm. think it's saying that they think it's saying this, but what they're actually saying is don't go, don't do it. And what actually transpires is that it's actually Matthew McConaughey that's doing this because when he goes into the black hole, when they've realized they can't escape it, they've got to suck it up, he's just going to have to go for it. Mm-hmm. He goes into the black hole and it's almost like. Our whole well, obviously, well, we have no idea. We we have no idea. We we imagine we're going to be all compacted and we're just going to die. Yeah. But until someone actually goes into one, we we just don't actually know, do yeah, we? Yeah. we? We don't know. We we can imagine. We have an idea. We have a pretty good strong thesis for it. Mm-hmm. But this film totally blew it out of the water. He goes in the black hole, and it's almost like he's been transported in, into time itself. So it's all dark, but he can see his own time frame dotted around and he's trying to send these messages through like an SOS kind of pattern with the books which is what you see at the beginning of the film and it is him saying mm-hmm. stop don't go yeah. don't go just don't do it because this is going to happen and that's when his daughter's realised what was actually trying to yeah, happen she kind of deciphers the yeah. and it's to do with the, the watch as well mm-hmm. he messes with the watch so the watch transpires a signal or a certain code that she picks up on and then she ends up actually saving the world right. so when Matthew McConaughey emerges from this um, black hole essentially gets spat out the other yeah, side. He, he he's find, in the future, yeah, isn't he? he? Finds 
his daughter is el- was, an elderly about as an elder death, as her, an actual on, elder on yeah. her deathbed and it's it's I've been waiting for you it's really surreal and weird but it's also very emotional especially when yeah. she, when she says um, I was waiting for my dad to come back and that and mm-hmm. McConaughey's so good at like Mc- that uh, it's an emo- emotional role yeah but he does the you know the face of you know you know like where you try to keep emotion in yeah yeah and it, like that that's really powerful mm-hmm. like that is one of the best film and the instrumental for that film check out Hans Zimmer yeah it's <laughs> is, is really really powerful as well. I remember when I watched this film I was living down in my flat in Lossie and uh, I watched it I was completely with me and the dog and I sat there on my couch and I just watched it and it literally ended and I actually I was that mesmerized with what I just watched. I actually sat up and I knew no one was in my house, but I actually felt the need to announce, my God, that was absolutely amazing. That that was fantastic. And by the end of it, I just realized I'm only talking to my dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the dog needs to know. As well. Everyone, needs Everyone to needed know. to know. that. Well, I watched that film and I was like, wow. And that is exactly why it's made it onto my list. And that is exactly why it's going to smash Forrest Gump. Yeah. <laughs> agreed, agreed, agreed. Interstellar takes position number four. Five. Yeah. Great film. It's such a good film. Position so number four. My wild, well, wild card. Uh, Saving Private Ryan. One of the greatest films, especially war films of all time. Your response, John. <laughs> Game of poker this now, man. Yeah, trying to figure out how to beat me rather than where you're actually putting the films. I'm gonna go with iRobot. I think I've heard about. Is this the eighties version? No, no, no. This is the one with Will Smith. I I think I'm. Is this where he's a cop in the future? Yeah, and yeah. Right. I've briefly seen it, yes. So yeah, iRobot I is a very futuristic film starring our, very, well, not our very own, but you know, the one and only Will Smith. And he's here today. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I wish, man. He's, uh, he's, that'll be amazing. But yeah, Will Smith, he's, um, he plays a cop in a, in a time where basically robots serve humanity. And they've got the three laws where they're not allowed to harm anyone or anything like that. But Will Smith is that convinced that there is something wrong with their programming that they just cannot be trusted. Mm. And rightfully so, as it transpires. It's kind of rightfully a so. In, in today's world as well, right? We're always kind of aware of how good is AI going to get? Yeah, exactly. Are there are there like blocks on AI for, yeah, for yeah, at least yeah. some kind of safety, just in case it yeah, decides yeah. we're not viable anymore? We're smarter. <laughs> yeah, like, you can get in the bin. Bombs. Boom. <laughs> but yeah, um, and it, it transpires that basically the AI in iRobot is actually, she's decided that humans are a danger to themselves. Rightfully right. so. In every kind of film which has that kind of stuff in it, it's always because we just kill each other. So it's a logical war. reason, not, no yeah. emotion behind it. It's yeah, just, it's know, just pure logic. Yeah. There, there is no emotion within AI, is there? It is always going to be 100% Balanced up with its own argument. What is efficient? Yeah. I don't know if I use that. Yeah. So, yeah. And Will Smith basically starts clicking on that this AI is controlling the other robots. Like, when it takes control of them, they kind of have a glow red instead of a blue red, which Mm. has been present in Sonny, who is a very unique robot. He is essentially his very own AI. He learns... And he wants to learn. He wants to learn about human emotion. He really tries to. And him and Will Smith at first really jarheads. 
but as the film transpires and gets further on in nearer the end, they actually become kind of friends and they start, they have little signals which they now send to each other. Yeah, I think yeah, one yeah. of them was a wink. Um, and that basically, trans- well, it allows Will Smith to basically kind of save himself, yeah. the girl, and Sonny also does his own bit where he's jumping around like Tomb Raider, you know, <laughs> shooting people, <laughs> yeah. being an absolute Lara badass. Um, um, this this film's, I believe it's set in 2032. I believe so. Which is crazy, because we're not that far away yeah, from that. We're only man. 11 years away. Yeah, imagine. Let's imagine. Hope I want my very own Sonny. Hoping, <laughs> hoping it was a bit wider the mark, that yeah. film. Well, put it this way, I will not allow any construction vehicles to just randomly turn on and plant my house down. <laughs> that is not happening. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like I said, it's such a good film. Um it is emotional because it takes you into Will Smith's kind of background as to why he doesn't trust them. Like mm-hmm. he, I think, I don't know, he tried to save someone from a car and the robot decided due to who had a better chance of living, oh, yeah, who yeah, were saved and it wasn't, of, yeah. Will Smith was like, you could save the girl, I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And the robot their, was like, no, you have the best chance of living, yeah, so you're getting saved. That whole saved. kind of logical over emotional exactly. decision making again. Which is why he believes, obviously, it's always got to be a human thing. Because yeah. a human will always try to save the youngest first. Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. what we do. We always try to save the infants. It's, it's just how we're, how yeah. we're genetically made. Um, so, yeah, against your saving Private, Private Ryan. Ryan. I've got actually an interesting... When I had, uh, it's not a spoiler. It's maybe a bit of a spoiler for you because... By the time that this is out, the Sean's Hall episode will have been out. But when I was speaking to Sean, right, I was asking him what was the first thing that got him into filmmaking, right, or made him, uh, you know, think about taking it up. Mm. And he was saying he was watching Saving Private Ryan, and he was watching a behind the scenes uh, version with Steven Spielberg, and he was saying he was like, I, it was more I was interested in playing Army when I was little. Oh right. And what see the explosions like like a grenade or something going off in one of these war films. One thing that they do is they have um, they fill this hole with water, and they put a cover over it, and they balance on a, a stick, and someone jumps on it, and it makes it look like an explosion, which I never knew. I found that really really cool. So it's like it's almost like the landmine. Yeah 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 like, mm. like that. That's what kind of causes the at the time anyway. Obviously, there's more like stuff like CGI in that now, but yeah. at the time, that's what caused it. And he was like, that was like my first time that I took interest in something to do with film and I found that interesting but we also brought it up for messages behind films and uh, basically the message in, in Saving Private Ryan from what I gather from it is uh, how many lives are worth sacrificing in the sake of saving one mm. because they they set up a, I wouldn't say a battalion or a company but a, a squad of people to go find Private Ryan in Normandy after the D-Day landings because he is the last brother of a family of three or four, and all of his other brothers have died in combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all, along the way, um, I'm trying to think about how many of them. Uh, so Vin Diesel goes first. Uh, he gets killed by that sniper. Um, I, I take it you've seen film right i have it was a while ago yeah, yeah, i'm yeah. not I've, I've got to be honest i'm not the biggest fan of kind of like war films yeah, and that so uh vin diesel he goes first and then i'm trying to think of the medic guy he gets gunned down at the, the gun station and then i think the only the only ones the only one that's left is um the guy that tries to leave halfway through the film and him and, and private ryan so basically the whole company or squad that they've assembled that's taken out to make sure Private Ryan gets home 
and that there's a really because they have this massive battle with the Germans mm-hmm. in one of these French towns because they okay. need to keep the bridge. Um, they need to keep control of the bridge so that they can push further into France and that. And he refuses to go because he doesn't want to leave the people he's been with. Because there's a camaraderie there, right? Especially, you know, uh, no one wants to go to war, but mm-hmm. in that period of time where everyone kind of had had to had because to, of yeah. the situation that was happening, um, you know, you obviously become a close bond with everyone around you. I would imagine Definitely, just because of the yeah. situation that you're in. Uh, well, they come, they come your brothers, don't they? Yeah, exactly. Uh, hence the the mini series they made off of Saving Private Ryan Band of Brothers. But, yep. uh, the the most powerful bit of this film for me is it starts off with uh, an elderly man going to the the Washington not the Washington Monument but there's a, a memorial for the World War Two uh, right. like graves and that it's got like everyone's names and that crosses with yeah, yeah. names and and so on and he he goes to one that's labelled Captain Miller which turns out to be Tom Hanks's character and the uh, elderly man that goes there with his family turns out to be Private Ryan. Oh, right, okay. And at the end, it, it switches back to that, but the, the scene just before it switches back to, uh, you know, current day, uh, Tom Hanks, uh, there's there's a scene where there's, there's Panzer, I believe, uh, is coming over the bridge. Big ass tank. Germans are overrunning and that, and Tom Hanks is kind of been shot a couple of times, and he's just shooting away at this tank. Like he's, you know. Why and not? then as he's shoots the last bullet, the tank blows up, and he's like, wait, what? And it turns out that like, the planes and uh, <laughs> cavalry's arrived and that, but he ends up passing away, right? And they try to save him and that, and, and Private Ryan's there with him, because like, he basically owes his, his like life to, to the, these people that you know like, were there and fought and, and died. Uh, and you can faintly hear it. I remember for like 10 years, I only found out like a couple of years ago what he actually says, but for years, like he whispers something in his ear, and I was like, what is he saying? And uh, I like, amplified it and like had headphones in, I think I got it, and then I looked it up, and I was, uh, what does he say at the end? And he says, "Earn this," and it obviously means like you know, have have a earn your life. Don't ever uh, throw this away, right? Because Mm -hmm. all these people have you know sacrificed and had people to go back to as well, yeah. So that you can continue your your life, life, right? Uh, And then it cuts back to him, kind of. In tears, of the old man saying, "I've never forgot to." You. I think about what you said to me that day every single day of my life. And then he goes to his his um his wife and his family because they're wondering why he's crying. He's like, "You know, I've I've been a good man. I've never let anyone down." And him to the fallen, which is a uh, quite an emotional soundtrack. Starts playing yeah. the credits roll, but incredibly powerful film. Um, but both are incredibly powerful. Yeah, but I I think. I think we could make an exception and call this one a tie. Yeah, because I, yeah, because I is it is a fan. I is a fantastic film. Mm-hmm. The CGI for the time that it came out as well, oh, f- phenomenal. Um, Storyline was solid. It, great actor, and it was great throughout. Like I say, my issue with war films: if you've watched a war film, you've watched all war all films. Them, yeah. That's my only issue with them. The only ones that stand out to me for the, if that was like enemy at the gates or behind enemy lines, mm-hmm. you would have it. But I'm actually. Are we talking about behind enemy lines? Will and Wilson. Yeah. Oh, great film. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> that's not on the list, though. I know. That's why I'm like, if it was one of those, I'd actually concede to you. But right now, I'm actually not even willing to accept a tie. Oh right. Okay. <laughs> I guess I robots going in at number four. four. 
We've been going for an hour and 35 minutes. We're, We're getting, getting there, there people. We've We're got three more to do. Holy shenanigans. Okay. This is a I, big one from I, Ryan. This yeah, is a I, big I feel hitter. like you you don't even have a film to contest this. The Dark Knight, the, the middle film in the Batman under Christopher Nolan trilogy, the one with Heath Ledger's Joker. Right, people, so I'm going to quickly put up my one, which is going to be uh, Cheech and Chong up in smoke, and we're going to concede. <laughs> we're just going to concede. Cause, uh, Justice has been enough, served. Enough said. Enough said. Let's just <laughs> say... Heath Ledger's Joker. Heath Ledger's Joker is the, the best bit of acting. So good. Of all time. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, so good that I actually... I, I know a few people who have got the Heath Ledger Joker as a tattoo. These are friends that actually live in our town as well. Ah, oh, he was a powerful actor. But then again, Christian Bale is also... He was a phenomenal Batman. Yeah, yeah. An actual phenomenal Batman. He was Especially really when good. you now know Ben Affleck's Batman. I don't get wrong. Ben Affleck done his best. He done his best, but you're not Christian. Bale, I've mate. seen Daredevil, man. That should have been the end of the road for superheroes for him. Well, he, anyway. he done better in Jane Silent Bob. We'll leave yeah, us that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Anyway, but yeah, let's just uh, briefly touch on Heath Ledger's uh, joke because it would be insulting if we didn't. Yeah, great man, great actor. Rest Basically, let's just say he gave his life to this role. I don't think it's uh, he wanted to be taken seriously as an actor. And that definitely done it for and, him. And that definitely done it for him at a cost of he became that character and it got too much for him. And the only sad part about that amazing performance is that he was never around to see the appreciation of of the eternal... Of his work. His immortal appearance and that. That will be shown a hundred years down the line, so on and, and so forth. And, you know, it's such a shame and it's such a tragedy that he... Uh, you know the, how that situation played out. Yeah, but the the best single alone acting appearance in a film of all time, um, especially playing, especially with the films that have came out yeah, since and base, basing the Joker in them. Like, don't the get me wrong, they came pl- before him. Like Jack Nicholson yeah. was. Uh, like don't get us wrong, they were all they all played a good part. They're all good actors, but Heath Ledger took it to another the, level. The unique thing about this Joker is, I think. When before this Joker came about, we'd always accustomed the Joker to being quite a charming villain. Mm-hmm. Like he was always quite funny, and yeah. Whereas this one really uh, explored the kind of uh, dark P- PTSD, <laughs> mental ill, uh, patient Joker. Yeah. And I think you know the scene when he comes in and he goes, "Do you want to see a magic trick?" Yeah. And he puts the pencil down and goes, like, "Well, look at that! <laughs> it's God! It's God! <laughs> I absolutely loved it. Ab- oh, he's just—he's so good." So good. So yeah, The Dark Knight, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, stole the biscuit. Number three, number two. We are. This is where any of these top three, right, could have been in any order. Let's just put that. Out. Yeah. But it just got so hard that I just had to. That, anyway. That's why. That's why were my ones. I just had to write down. Yeah. Ten from my list of like fifty. <laughs> right. Uh, my number two, Goodfellas. I'm gonna. Put up because the one I'm uh, actually I'm gonna save I'm gonna save that one because I know you've not seen it so I'll save that one for number one but this one Venom Tom Hardy's Venom I watched I watched Venom. it is, it is a good film I can't wait for the the sequel to come out and I, I, it's I'm gonna be carnage I'm a big fan of <laughs> Tom Hardy in general yeah like uh, we should also probably give him a little shout for his role as Bane in the 
The Dark yep. Knight Rises. Um, um, he's just. I also have you, have you seen his performance in Legend when he plays both yeah, the, uh, the the brothers? Both the brothers. Oh me, man, phenomenal positioning. I know a lot of it's to do with the director and whatnot, but I mean he was phenomenal, yeah. absolutely magic actor. But yeah, playing Venom. I loved the comedy aspect. I loved the kind of um, emotional little dive it made you go down as well, just with him himself hitting rock bottom. Because mm. normally when you hear Eddie Brock, you hear him being just the enemy of Superman. Whilst in this Venom, he's not the enemy of Superman. Uh, Spider-Man. Not, sorry, <laughs> Spider-Man. Yeah, my bad. Redacted. <laughs> so yeah, he's not the enemy of Spider-Man because Spider-Man's not in this one as of yet. No. We, have, we have heard that they may be making appearances, but until then, he's more... Due to this Eddie Brock, Tom Hardy's Eddie Brock, he's more of like, um, what's the word? Uh, he's not quite a hero. He's more of a Deadpool kind of style, like yeah, a vigilante. Like an anti-hero kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, like an anti-hero, um, which is quite interesting because to have that kind of trait also leads on to, if you know anything about the symbiotes, there's also one called Anti-Venom, and he is a full-on anti-hero. That's just what he's, he's, he's a good guy, but he kind of goes about it the wrong way, mm-hmm. like a Deadpool kind of style again. But for the story of Venom... It's just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. I thought the cast was great. I thought his his the part he played was just so good. Like the scenes when he's actually talking with Venom, and like because Venom can obviously talk to him like telepathically. Yeah, because the, the mask, not the mask, but the the suit kind of comes off the it face. Comes for off a bit, because it? it is yeah. a symbiote. Because it's not a suit. Like the, what you see is that is that is Venom. Yeah. Well, it's not Venom. That's what Venom does, puts on yeah. to Eddie Brock. But you see them talking, and you you can see them as one. Like, there are scenes where that happens, and the CGI is, honestly, you're just like... If you were a little kid, you'd be scared, Mm -hmm. because you'd be like, what, the detail and all the little symbiote, little goop parts, essentially? And they all all move at different times, and the way they join back up, the way you see Venom, like, eat people, the way Venom talks to people as well, he's like, ah, work. Like, something like, rip off your limbs. Yeah. So it'd be like, a fart in the wind. Just a fart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, what? And he's like talking to Eddie Brock and he's like calling him a pussy because he doesn't want to jump off a building. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, we can jump. He's like, nope, taking the elevator. And Venom's like, pussy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the little comedy parts that are rammed in, these massive action sequences. Ah, oh, they're just so good. And when you see, because there's a scene where Venom also leaves Eddie Brock and goes into his ex girlfriend and watching Venom become a female. Mm. It was also quite interesting. It's nice to just watch because they are symbiotes and they do choose to who they want yeah, to feed yeah. off of. Because they are, they, Eddie Brock calls them a parasite because essentially he yeah, is because yeah. they they feed off the user mm-hmm. unless they're fed nutrients, which is obviously what they like to eat as humans. Mm-hmm. We supply them with enough nutrients to live, but that's why they also like to attach themselves to them. Um, but yeah, a, a very strong number two is that, and that I you got to give it all to Tom Hardy. Yeah, man. Soundtrack is also phenomenal. Thank you, Eminem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll make a case for Goodfellas, but I, I feel like I have a couple similar films in here already. So uh, we'll, we'll give it a go. But we'll see. Um, Coming so, out fighting. Uh, another another book that I read was Wise Guy, which was the life and uh, story of Henry Hill. Who is the main character in Goodfellas, played by Ray Liotta? Uh, it's probably out of all of Scorsese's films, it's probably the one that's the most iconic. And there's been a few, right? Uh, but it's the one that I think everyone goes back to. So it starts off, uh, and I, I just want to kind of, I think what's impressive about this is 
Henry Hill was a low level associate in the mob. He was never someone that was a higher up or that, but it's still such a compelling and interesting film, even though that's the kind of status that it is. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we might have actually, I think we touched on this in the coronavirus episode. We did, yeah. With, um, the moment of, I still get my mind blown that the heist that they do in Goodfellas at the airport, uh, that money has never been recovered. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Burke or Conway, can't remember. De Niro, I said this in the Corona. I, I remember watching that. This is exactly what I said. <laughs> De Niro's character in Goodfellas uh, basically bumped everyone off to stop them from talking that was involved in the heist so that the authorities couldn't, you know, crack Pinpoint, the case. Yeah. And uh, he, he died, didn't he? One of the, they managed to keep one alive, right? But as he was testifying, he went to tie his shoe and he had a heart attack. And he yeah, that was the one. Which yeah. is like, you know, of all the luck. <laughs> the, the um, but, but yeah, there's some crazy scenes in like the, the bit where they uh, beat up Billy, well, they kill Billy Bats basically, but they beat him up in the, the bar because uh, he says, go get your shine box to uh, Joe Pesci's character. And it shows you like a really... Um, brutal side, but just even from the outside of the mob life, because he's not even fully in. He wasn't even a part of the mob because he has. He's not in the inner circle. Yeah, he's. He, I think you have to be. So basically, to be accepted into a family in one of the crime families, you have to be full blood Italian, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas Henry Hill and even De Niro's character uh, were uh, Irish descent, I believe. Uh, but it's all you know. It, it gets to the point of where it has this all kind of glamorization of it, mm. and then this kind of second half of where it starts to go downhill because he starts getting ad- addicted to substances and he starts ah, selling substances right. and it starts messing with his mind and getting himself in trouble. And obviously, and one thing that the mob never ever approved of, uh, the the, well, the made guys and stuff like that was you know, uh, drug dealing. Nope. Yeah, he don't no do go. Um, which you know, obviously he pushed ahead with anyway and there's like surreal moments of when uh, Joe Pesci's character goes to get made but it turns out it's revenge for Billy Bats who are, when they kick in the, the bar and that and when he, he turns up he's expecting all these people around mm-hmm. a table and he's going to get made and that and he sees an empty and he has that last like his life flashes before his eyes like oh and then as he's about to say no boom yeah through the head and that's and there's a powerful scene where De Niro's on the phone and like he was like, so, so what happened? And he was like, he's like, uh, you know, uh, uh, he had an accident. He's like, what kind of accident? He's like, there's nothing we could have done about it. So mm-hmm. basically kind of realizes he's been whacked. And remember, like, De Niro was all for him getting made and that, so he kind of feels guilty about it. He starts whacking the phone and pushing the thing over. It's, it's crazy because there's a bit where, like, uh, Ray Liotta's character, well, Henry Hill, Ray Liotta's character. I like Ray Liotta. Uh, is, is like uh, it cuts back to the Tommy because they find out when they they've been phoned and that and it's yeah. like uh, it was revenge for Billy Bats and a lot of other things yeah and then it got it, it's powerful where it just goes uh, they even shot Tommy in the face so that his mother couldn't give him an open coffin at the funeral and that's true because I've read the book as well which is crazy man yeah you know and uh, at the end. Uh, him and his wife decide to go into witness protection and he gives everyone up and this is this is the thing about Henry Hill the life's uh, you know Dob and his friends and, and you know all the people that he was friendly with and cared about and that messing them over or turning them over was never a big deal to him mm-hmm. the hardest part of it was giving up the lifestyle as we've seen uh, because I've read the book and I've read stuff 
after that and there's a bit at the end of the film where it kind of lists uh, even when he went into witness protection and got everyone um, uh, put in jail and stuff like that that was part of, you know that he knew mm. he you know he, he didn't change he never stayed out of trouble he couldn't stay out of trouble he was addicted to the lifestyle that's uh, if you're addicted to that lifestyle then you don't want to give it up you're not going to give it up really are yeah. you and it's just it's him kind of it kind of alludes to that in the film like he kind of he's downbeat he was like you know I've got to have like pasta and you know asked for marinara sauce and they gave me a bottle of ketchup and you know, you know no but like just seeing like the because obviously his little taste of that life there was all these kind of like deli platters and yeah. pastas and all these kind of sauces and all this uh, gourmet food whereas you know his status had went down because he went to protection and then you know says just a regular guy at the end of it and door closes and you know the, the oh, I'm trying to remember what the, the song's called it's a really good song at the end I'll, I'll have to search it yeah and then he just couldn't stay out of trouble after that but it's a really good insight into the uh, not so much fully dived in like stuff like The Godfather mm. and Casino and that which are great films in their own right but just that kind of we're, we're talking about corruption of the human mind right of power and that that's kind of what that was right because he was yeah. a kid growing up and then he kind of got into that and he had like a little taste of, of what it was like and it, yeah, yeah, it yeah. wasn't about the people he was with which is what they always say it's about it was about the lifestyle and how he could never get away from that and that but i guess it's decision time so venom <laughs> oh good fellas it's a tough one this yeah i feel like i've got a couple films in there already that are Similar yeah. in Goodfellas, and I know. Apologies, uh, Jamie Reed, who watches this podcast. Cause I know he's also <laughs> a, he's also a big mob movie fan. He's going to kill me when he uh, he hears that I've just conceded to Venom. But you know, I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here. Not being funny. I'm sitting here quite comfy right now. Like so, Venom. <laughs> v- Venom goes out at number two before the the final. You know, it's, we're going to have some some of the new content getting on here as well. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. We're we're keeping it balanced. Plus, I got the departed in. I was, you know, no negotiating on the departed, so yeah, I've got to give the way. Right, good old number one. Now, I think I am. I am a bit worried about this one mm. because I know how powerful your number one yeah. film is, and I know so. But my my in my defense, I also know you haven't seen my number one. Film. Right. Okay. Okay. Um. So I mean. I'm going to let you... Oh, no, I have seen this. Oh, you have seen Rosa it? Rosa Salazar is... Yes. Oh, you have seen yes, it? Yes, I have seen it. <gasps> I wasn't too sure. Well, well, yeah, well, I was going to kind of leave it until after you explained. But, yeah, my uh, defense is Alita Battle Angel. Phenomenal film. Very, very um, surprisingly emotional as well. Very, but especially when you find out some of the backstories as to, well, even at the very beginning when you find out why she's called the, Alita. This is the film with the character that is animated. Yes. yes. Now your her whole it's her, well her whole body is essentially animated. Well, she is, she's a robot. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously in the film it's, it's she, animated. Am I right in thinking she's got one eye again? I think. No, 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 no. she's got two. They're, they're very big though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know when you buy like your little pop finals and they have yeah, these big eyes, yeah. it's kind of that effect. Um, which I actually have two of Alita in little pop finals because I'm that much of a fan. <laughs> I honestly, this film stole the biscuit for me. I liked, I liked all the characters. I loved the guy in the beginning. I mm. can't remember his name. The Doctor. He's gonna drive me nuts. He was in Django as well as the little oh, the guy what who a film went that is as well. I know. I don't know what I'm saying that, and I'm like, why is that not on any of our lists? We're, we're gonna, got, we're we had a Quentin so Tarantino much hate one on for there. the ones that we just d- haven't got in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can only choose ten. <laughs> we're going for like 
almost two hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, but yeah, so um, yeah, like Alita, it's she's found in a scrapyard. Well, the the important part of her is found in the scrapyard, which was her basically mini reactor of a heart, which was forgotten technology. Um, as it's explained in the film, I can't remember the faction that she actually came from, but she was based on a berserker, which was a highly futuristic, very powerful fighter for any war zone. They would get dropped in in small amounts of units and basically just wipe everything out. Mm-hmm. But Alita Battle Angel, the film itself, is also based on the manga that it actually that was the original source. So this is why I was I thought it was very important to get this film in here because we spoke about a lack of anime, yeah. and so mm-hmm. I'm thinking this is the manga, the manga battle right now. Now this film, when it came out, it didn't reach everything that they wanted in box office. But since it's since its release, they have now also decided they are definitely doing the second one, even though this first one didn't happen in a year. You know, this was. This was a build-up to yeah. Alita Battle Angel. Um, and the second one's going to be about another, I would probably say, three to four years. Because the amount of CGI that goes into it, I mean, the sport that they have in there, the rollerball, mm. or, or, is, or do they call it murderball? Murder it's one of them anyway, yeah, but yeah. basically they, they're, all, they're all enhanced. Some of them have, like, chains they can shoot out. Some of them are also built like the Hulk, you know? Mm. Some of them are built, like almost like skiers like they have like slide uh, scythes and shit like that so just they make them really streamlined they're really really smooth on what they do but it's all about trying to kill the opponent if they can't get the ball and hold on to it they just try <laughs> they just try to kill each other on this sport and it, oh it's absolutely crazy but at this point when in the film when that's happening elita's got her berserker body which she finds in i can't remember the faction name again but she finds in one of the spaceships mm. she goes in and then the body kind of reacts to her presence and she's all like, ooh, ooh, this, I feel a connection kind of thing. She takes it back to the doctor, and the doctor's like, I'm not putting you in this, because if I put you in this, I'm worried that you're going to change, because this body is meant for killers. Mm. But then he's clicking, he, he's kind of realizing that he can't control Alita. Alita's going to do her own thing. So she goes out and becomes a, um, like a bounty hunter. Right. Because um, she realizes the doctor's a bounty hunter, and he's like, no, you can't do bounty hunting. So she rebels, she goes in, she comes a uh, yeah. fully fledged bounty hunter, but she gets herself into a situation where she essentially gets all chopped up. So the body that was actually meant for the doctor's own daughter, who sadly died, mm. um, has now been completely obliterated. Like she's like missing an arm, missing a leg. So the doctor's left with no choice but to put her in the berserker body. Now, when this berserker body happens, a really amazing bit of CGI happens. It's almost like watching Mystique change, like all the nanom as they call them, nano, nanobots that are inside it, it just kind of reads how her brain is, a brain sending signals to how her body should look. So obviously you don't, there's nothing revealing. It's, it's like a suit with clothes yeah. on essentially. Mm. And, but it changes. And that's when they sit there and they realize it's like, oh, she is not a girl. Yeah. She is actually a young woman. Like she is a, she, I don't know, say based on maybe an early 20 year old. Mm. Um, and obviously things kind of change. She's got this body on and she's like, oh, this is amazing. She's like, putting one finger on the floor, going upside down and doing a flip. And yeah. you're just like, this is this is going to be insane. And now that's when the murder ball happens. She's in there. She's got that body. She's agile. She's just kicking ass. Um, the emotional side is because she kind of forms a little bond with a human. Can't remember his name. Um, bad stuff happens to him, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> but he kind of brings that on himself because he was up to no good mm. anyway. Um, but he gets repaired as such. He, he's managed to be saved 
as such to now he's actually got a mechanical body himself. But he's still himself. He's still got his own brain and whatnot. It's just I believe the rest of him is kind of mechanical. And he starts climbing up one of the tubes to yeah, one of the flo- yeah. fly it. Is it the floating, floating planet or the floating plate they call it? Basically, where the, the all the upper class. Yeah, go. this is this is the scene that I remember most from the film. That you and he's walking up there, and Alita basically tries to tries to get him, tries to save him, and it just doesn't happen. Decimated. A ring gets released by the enemy, who's played by Ed Norton. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very oh, yeah. common theme in this list. Yeah, Ed Norton, my man. <laughs> so, so, yeah, Ed Norton releases basically a defense for one of these tubes. And it basically, it's a ring of just death mm-hmm. that gets flung all the way down down the tube. Now, Alita sees this. She, I believe she jumps, and she manages to jump high enough, but her partner doesn't. So he's mm-hmm. all chopped up, yeah. fallen off the side. But the one thing that's also been uh, put out there is that he may not actually be dead, because remember, he's, mechan- he's mostly mechanical right now. So although he fell from a height, can he be repaired? We don't know. Are we going to see him again in Elite Battle Angel 2? We don't know. Does it make it worth the while? It does. Does it make this a great film? Damn right. <laughs> so, so, this film was fun. Oh, it was phenomenal. I, I rented it off of the Xbox store. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought it on Blu-ray. And if I ever see it on TV, you're damn right I watch it. Because yes. <laughs> so, it, for me... It's that kind of film. Because the character herself, even though it's all CGI, she's got big eyes. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's beautiful. It's a, she's actually a beautiful character. Like, the CGI is so smooth on it. At every interaction with anyone, at any point in that film, it doesn't look jarry. It's all beautiful. A lot of money went into it. And the second one, I really hope, because we all know when you come out with a second one, yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah. your hopes get a bit crushed. I really hope this doesn't happen with Alita. Yeah. I hope it continues that the rocket straight up. There's not even like a steady incline. It's just... Yeah, <laughs> share prices up. are up. Yeah, it's like, this is happening. Right, mate. Oh, your powerful one. Powerful ending. American History X is a film that I first watched seven years ago, 2014. And it, it deals with a lot of uh, serious topics. Yeah. Or one in particular... And it, it's about a story about two brothers uh, that are are basically white supremacists. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and they're in that that bad gang of people that think like that. And it gets to the point where uh, Edward Norton's character uh, takes things too far. Uh, someone tries to steal his car mm-hmm. um, of a different race, and he ends up. Stomping his head, curb yeah. stomping him. Yeah, bite um, the curb. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and ends up in prison. Uh, the friends, um, befriends a gentleman, a gentleman down in the laundry who's yeah. not the same ethnicity, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, and realizes that it, it's we're all just people. Yeah, <laughs> so that, this whole ideology that he's been fed is bullshit. Yeah. Um. So he, he comes out, but he he, he realizes that. Uh, his brother is following the exact same path he was because he's in the group of people that it happened to him with. There's mm-hmm. a guy called Cameron that is basically the head supremacist. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, and he's kind of indoctrinated, you know, all these young people who believe this nonsense yeah, and stuff. Mind, um, mind wiping them. And, and uh, Edward Norton's character goes uh, to a of these 
Rally things to confront this Cameron guy and to get his brother out, and he ends up beating this Cameron guy up because he kind of realizes uh, he went to jail because of him. Like this guy uses people to have his, you know, sick ideology and that out there, yeah. and they suffer the consequences. And he finds out all this stuff about him turning on uh, these kids, and they got ten years or something for something that he should have really served for. So he, he you know, he calls him out on all this and that and he was like oh you know you've went soft and everything but you you know your brother needs me more than he'll ever need you and then he beats him up and then there's a lot of you know um randy from my name is earl comes yeah. tries to shoot ed norton mm. uh a lot of sh- stuff happens uh there, there's an english teacher uh with uh, danny who's edward norton's younger brother in the film uh he gets him to do an essay because he does a, a paper on a very very uh, controversial book, which you know, I don't know what the terms and regulations are, so I won't. Yeah, I'm free, I know which one you're on about, yeah. but yeah. But he tells him to do a report on his brother, mm. uh, and it's it's an interesting uh, layout they have it because as the story's being told, it keeps cutting to him reporting it on his computer, like he's like typing it up and stuff like that. And there's like really really powerful points in there as well, the strained relationship, and you see how bad it was for Edward Norton's character in terms of how indoctored he was and how yeah. this extremity was pushing him. And then obviously his prison experience of where some, uh, you know, it, it, in the film it shows that all prisons are kind of gang... Uh, Affiliated. Yeah. So he ends up going in with people that are also part of the white supremacy thing. Yeah. And but then he ends up doing the, the like you said, the laundry with... Uh, someone of a different ethnicity to him and real you know befriends him and mm. and realizes the all kind of hypocrisy and just you know just you know you just realize it's all like i say they're just people yeah no different we're all just people <laughs> that's, um, that's it so he, he come like I said he comes out he gets his brother he tells his brother what happened in prison and that and then they both agree to take all this uh offensive propaganda and that down um you know this racist propaganda that they have in their room, and that they take it all down, and it's you know that that's done with now. They're they're not a part of this. They they know that this is is wrong in that, and it's you know yeah. Uh, so he goes. Through, he basically goes through quite a big change, yeah, doesn't he? Like it turns out he he blames like his hatred of of um you know it appears that his his blame of his hatred towards people of other ethnicities is from his dad dying because mm. he, I believe he gets shot trying to put out a fire or something it's like something that. It's something like, yeah. But it actually turns out that his dad held these beliefs as well in a, another cutscene, and not a cutscene, but you know, like a flashback. Yeah. Uh, so he, he ends up taking his little brother to school uh, and there's like a big kind of intense, uh, there's a scene earlier in the film to give context where, uh, the little brother has a bit of a confrontation with um, a couple other kids of mm. you know of a different race to him, and you know they, you know, they fight just, <laughs> things like that. Um, and so he goes to school, and you can tell there's something building up, and it's got all this intense music. And I remember the first time watching this, I was like, you know, something's going to happen to Edward. Yeah. Norton. Something's going to happen to Edward Norton because, like, you know, he was. Like a infam- was, yeah. infamous for his crimes and stuff like that. You thought it was going to be him going to get his comeuppance. Yeah. And then it's his brother, his brother's uh, in the toilet uh, at the funeral. Turns around, 
the guy that he had a bit of confrontation with earlier in the films there, gun, bang, bang, bang. The, the amount of shock in my face when this happened because like, the blood splatter in that across the wall is some of the most intense stuff I've mm. ever seen in my life. And then the song uh, Benedictus starts playing. Well, it's an instrumental, actually, which is really, really eerie and really powerful and really dramatic. And Edward Norton runs into school. It's all in slow motion. The, the history teacher um, yeah. is there. Police are there. Edward Norton runs in, and uh, like the, I think the, the like it, the song, the, the instrumental peaks. Mm. Like this kind of dramatic moment comes in when he sees his brother like lying there, for, you know, and you know Edward Norton's in tears and irate, and um, uh, you know what what have I done? Because he realizes that this is partly on him. Yeah, he kind of set him it, down it, that road. He. he you know, hadn't been on that road, then uh, Danny, which is his brother's name, mm. it wouldn't have uh, led down that road. And wouldn't have followed him. Yeah. It, that scene, without fail, I can watch it two hundred times over. It never fails to give me chills down my spine. It's just some of the most powerful stuff I've ever seen. I actually remember the the guy that <sighs> plays the guy in the the, the laundry uh, was being interviewed, and he was saying that uh, he was doing an autograph signing or something. And someone that used to be in one of these um, gangs actually came to him and said the film turned my life around. And the guy was actually in, in tears about it and stuff. So it was it had a powerful impact on people. And it it, it always... I, I've never seen something as powerful as that because the, the main message behind it is hate gets you nowhere. Oh, exactly. If anything, yeah. it takes hate things... Hate gets more hate. Yeah. And it takes things away from you. And there's a... I'm going you lose to, yourself in that I'm stuff. I'm going to find this quote quickly. Uh, let me just find it quickly. I'm going to scroll because it was a, it was quite a while back. But yeah, it cuts to uh, the end of his brother's report because mm. he's handed that in to the, the English teacher. And it, it basically kind of a summary and he uses a quote at the end and it's one of the most... It's still something that I try to keep in line with what I'm thinking all the time not just to do with the topics that are in said film mm. but just you know because we, we can tend to uh, turn on each other in times yeah. and stuff but uh, it's just here uh, okay so this is what he says he, he takes a he takes a quote to end his paper and the quote says we're not enemies but friends, we must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic chords of memory will swell again when touched, as surely they will by the better angels of our nature. And then the, the film credits come on and the intense Powerful music. stuff. Powerful stuff. And that's why I cannot concede this yeah. as my number one film. And I hope you agree with me. I know you like Elite Battle Angel. I liked it too. <laughs> this film... American History Act takes a fucking French biscuit. <laughs> right, people. So, I actually already done a little count. So, I kind of felt it was going to be a bit fair of me to concede that one. Because now it's five each. Well, let's, let's read our combined list off from ten to one before we go. Right. So, in tenth position, we had Tropic Thunder. Number nine, Donnie Brasco. Number eight, Fight Club. Number seven, Train Spotting. Number six, The Departed. Number five, Interstellar. 
Number four, iRobot. Number three, The Dark Knight. Number two, Venom. And number one, American History X. Boom. Two hours, seven minutes it took us to do that list. And I guess we will be wrapping it up here. Yeah, I didn't think we'd actually be able to... uh, I'm surprised we managed to talk for that long about these films. We're, 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 <laughs> we're, 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 we're civil people. We came, yeah. to, we came to decisions and we... Uh, we did. We, we got, we we got a top made, ten list. Uh, made some hard decisions. Yeah. But uh, feel free in the comments to disagree or agree, agree with or, us. Yeah. Or if you thought any any injustices were made there with how we, <laughs> how we uh, uh, put the films in order and whatnot, then let us know. And yeah, we'll... I guess we'll see you for episode 8 because episode 7 after this one's another interview so we'll be back for episode 8 I'll be back in (laughs) the near future see you later guys and take care from the NEC